0: Hey guys, Ray Russell, welcoming you back once again, partnered with Steve Ekstat for the show here, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, episode number 11, Steven. Can you believe by the time this posts, it's the final episode of January 2021 already?
1: Well, just insane, man. Time's flying by when you have fun, I guess.
0: And for those who may not notice, Steve actually has a new microphone. Welcome into the world of podcasting, Steve. No more headset. He's went the way of Jim Cornette. Even Jim Cornette moved from the headset to the microphone, and Steve's doing the same thing here. You sound great, buddy.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's a wise investment, but we're not going to stop here. We're going to continue to get better. Just got to give it time.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild and crazy last week uh, for me uh, and for you. I mean, uh, you, one of us had a great week, probably. The other one, not so great. <laughs> Steve, I know you took a little mini vacation with the family. I wish I could twist my wife's arm to do that right now, but she's very... COVID uh, savvy, she she's, tries to keep everybody uh, home as much as she can. Uh, for right now, anyway, I think things are starting to turn around, and uh, on my end, unfortunately, I've you know I had a few, few funerals to attend, but uh, so is life. Uh, I am happy to say they're not COVID-related, however, they're cancer-related, so they're still, uh, I just don't like that letter C right now, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I blame you. But I don't want to bring anybody down here. It's a new year. We have a new president in the office now. We'll see how that goes. It can't go much worse, that's for sure. And we're going to get things going with two more weeks of Nitro, two more weeks of Raw, all wrapped around both the Clash of the Champions 32 and the 1996 Royal Rumble. We're coming out of that. So we're going to talk all about it here this week. Steve, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. We'll kick things off WCW Monday Nitro for January 22nd 1996 from Las Vegas Nevada and Caesars Palace 3100 fans in the building 2750 paying not too bad this week for WCW and it's the go home show to the Clash of the Champions which is also in the same arena tomorrow Tuesday January 23rd 1996 Clash of the Champions 32 and a lot of build up to that show you'll see here today a couple of news and notes I had to I had to notice here or note here before we get going. First was the weekend prior to this nitro, there was a center stage taping for Saturday night. And would you believe the Iron Sheik came a looking for a job, Steve, <laughs> in nineteen ninety six.
1: Oh Lord, we can't get away from that guy, can we?
0: <laughs> no, and it's for as bad as oh, he was in nineteen eighty nine on the wrestling memory grenade in the NWA. We know he winds up in the WWF in nineteen ninety one as Colonel Mustafa, and then obviously he still winds up back in the WWF as sort of the manager of the Sultan fairly yeah. soon. So he does that. find himself another job. Anyway, Vince just has a, a soft spot in his heart, believe it or not, for certain guys, Jim Neidhart, Marty Jannetty, and apparently the Iron Sheik.
1: He <laughs> must hook him up with the good Coke, I guess. huh?
0: It's just some medicine. You use the code word the Steve. It's not like a Coke. It's not a crack some medicine i offered eric bischoff medicine he told me hey you you shicky get the fuck out i said fuck you you no good punk jabroni bitch and then he he no give me job fuck him fuck you <laughs> thanks
1: for coming iron Sheik. thanks for visiting us here on the grenade
0: always the, inter- grenade,
1: the, the monday warfare <laughs> <laughs> show
0: my bad. yeah you get confused we've never done the iron we never had to talk about the iron Sheik on monday <laughs> warfare imagine that
1: uh I'm too much on the grenade
0: as we get going, this is an interesting piece, and it seems like uh, you know some of the issues that lead up to Johnny B. Badd leaving the WCW, as you've already mentioned before, there were some other stories involved, but apparently there was a dark match where Eric Bischoff had Johnny B. Badd do the job to the Giant in a mere eight seconds. Now, I'm not saying Johnny B. Badd should have defeated the Giant. I don't even know that based on the Giant's relevance in the company right now, Johnny B. Badd should have even gotten any offense necessarily, not too much. He certainly sh- probably shouldn't have knocked the Giant down, but eight seconds? This feels like Eric Bischoff playing with Johnny B. badd
1: Yeah, that definitely doesn't make any sense. I mean, he's in a pretty big feud, even though it's undercard. He's in a bit pretty big feud with DDP, but it feels like, you know, maybe the writing's already on the wall and that they're just not going to come to terms, and so Bischoff is doing what he can to devalue Johnny B. badd on the way out, and um, we talked about that ad nauseum. It's just really unfortunate because it seems like, even though the Wild Man gimmick was pretty similar to the Johnny B. Bad gimmick, the same flashy entrance, same flashy gear, same flashy offense, to be honest, it just didn't work for whatever reason. Mark Merrill just doesn't sound as cool as Johnny B. Bad and the music and the Bad Blaster and those sort of things that just heightened him in WCW it just didn't work in the WWF. And so it's unfortunate that they couldn't come to terms because he was a really, really good talent.
0: Yeah, and we'll be following that once he does make the jump there at WrestleMania 12, so we'll be following the Mark Merrow career in the WWF, unfortunately. But for yeah. right now, he's he's still Johnny B. Bad as Nitro kicks off with Pepe in a tuxedo and a top hat because Vegas, I suppose. And this week, as Heenan and Bischoff and Mongo are talking Nitro, they're interrupted, and it just does, it doesn't it does ever end now. Now that, now that somebody's set the tone for these Nitro interruptions, anybody can do it. Including Conan, who makes his return of sorts—I guess you could call it his debut—as this version of Conan. It's actually his return. He appeared way back at Starcade '90 under a mask and did a couple of TV tapings right around that show as well. But for all intents and purposes, this is a whole new Conan here. I'm sure most of the fans have no idea what I'm referencing. At least, at least the '95, '96 fans probably didn't remember Conan's very brief stint in the NWA, WCWA, back at the turn of 90 91. So Conan's out here. He's the Mexican heavyweight champion from AAA. He interrupts and he says he is the Mexican heavyweight champion. He will wrestle Psychosis tomorrow at Clash of the Champions. So not only is Conan debuting in the ring tomorrow, he's bringing Psychosis with him, someone he knows very well from Mexico. Wise decision there as Bischoff begins to purge the Lucha Libre roster.
1: Thanks to Conan. <laughs> Yeah, which is is, is, it's pretty crazy. Like Conan, he doesn't get um, and I don't know if it's his own doing or what, but he just doesn't get that recognition that you probably he probably should for how much he played a major role in WCW Nitro being a success. Um, I know people know about it, but they don't see that's one of those names you never really hear when it comes to, you know, the big time people that made a made a big impact in the war. And uh, you don't really hear him very often.
0: No, it's funny. You listen to so many people that take credit for all the things that they did, and some take credit for things they didn't do. There's, all, there's always guys arguing over who really created certain storylines or gimmicks, things like that. Conan, no doubt, played a big part in bringing all the luchadors over, all the very high-end luchador, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, the list goes on, and he really okay. never plays it up. He never sells it. He he doesn't go on, <laughs> on his uh, podcast every week talking about how he was the one that, that – created the entire lucha libre or cruiserweight division or whatever division you want to call it in wcw but here he is and it's begun and we start with conan who has recently come off uh, a very brief stint in ecw psychosis the same
1: i can't wait that's what this show's been missing
0: and it's already time it's promo time Mm, yeah macho man randy savage and before he makes his way out there's all these chicks all of a sudden making their way i guess because it's vegas man so you got all these beautiful young ladies headed up down the ramp in front of the Macho Man. Obviously, the biggest name I recognized immediately was Woman. Nancy Sullivan makes her return as well to WCW here. Also in this group of ladies is Linda Hogan. Very easy to spot her nowadays. We didn't know really what she looked like back then. Uh, Also, Dave Meltzer reports one of these ladies was actually Linda Hogan's sister as well. And the announcers put this over as, mind games as the macho man has a bunch of pretty ladies with him which is something that rick flair normally does so the big point i had out of all this is all these ladies are faceless nameless call them what you want but eric bischoff makes sure to point out immediately that woman is one of these ladies here so you can kind of tell that she's going to play a factor moving forward
1: yeah uh, it's kind of crazy how woman is kind of she just kind of blends in here i mean I know, I know they're talking her up and everything but she kind of just blends in and fits in with the rest of and not really doing anything to make herself stand out or anything so um definitely <laughs> unique different and uh this wasn't done before seeing all these women i know flair did it now and then but it's pretty cool to see savage and hogan or H- savage come out with all these women at, at first to play those mind games because what does flair love more than the title it's women so if you got six women circle in the ring, he's going to be distracted.
0: So and that actually makes sense. I thought woman did a great job. As you pointed out, She kind of just was there at this point. She played her cards, right? And why not? I mean, she's been around Kevin Sullivan since I guess since adulthood. She knows the business inside and out. She's been around the business. She knows what to do. She just came off of a pretty solid stint in ECW as manager of the Sandman and I guess technically two cold Scorpio as well. So woman's been around, she knows what's going on, and now she's made it to WCW after recent reports that she was headed here, here she is. And not only do we get the Macho Man and all these lovely ladies, but of course Hulk Hogan has to interrupt because it's the Hulk Hogan show. He says he wishes the Macho Man good luck, but he also wants first crack at the world title because Macho's headed into the ring in his rematch with world champion Ric Flair at this moment. And what a pal Hulk Hogan is, booking matches before Macho Man even has the belt. Eric Bischoff announces that Miss Elizabeth will make her return tomorrow at the Clash of the Champions as well. It's a last-minute announcement. I'm wondering if it, they just came to these terms in the last few days. Seems like something they would have played up a little more than a 24-hour notice, Miss Elizabeth returning to professional wrestling.
1: Yeah, if you uh, read The Observer or you believe the melt uh, on the situation, they flew her in and they weren't sure if they was going to use her or not. They had to get a look at her first. And according to the Melzer, being the turd that he is made comments that she wasn't kind of up to snuff and it took a lot of work to make her presentable on TV, whatever the hell that means. I mean, Miss Elizabeth is going to be Miss Elizabeth, no matter how she looks. I mean, she's an attractive lady, whether she gets old and, you know, ages like all of us, she's still going to be very beautiful. I mean, I don't care. It doesn't matter <laughs> unless she completely let herself go. And she's like, you know, just whatever, whatever you would find ugly and then fine. But come on, she's, what three years older than what she was last that's, time we seen her? That's that's what I was gonna. <laughs> like, like, that's what I was gonna say. Like I mean, she, we're
0: only three and a half years removed from her stint with the Flair Savage feud in the WWF, so it's crazy. I know yeah, what you're was, in, uh, referring to as far as the oh, observer wow. goes. It's it's clear Meltzer's basically just repeating stuff he's heard from someone inside the WCW here when he runs down. I don't know if you want to call it running down, but basically saying that Elizabeth wasn't up to snuff, so to speak, as you said, she didn't look her best. And he pointed out something about the way she looked in her face. You could tell that she aged three years, Steve, by the way. I think she would have been in her 30s here. Maybe it's it's insane. And then he talks about her legs. Now, Meltzer, mind you, hadn't seen her. So he's going off of whoever reported this. So here's my first initial impression of this. Who cares? And then on top of that, exactly. Why are you reporting this? Even in 1996? Why is this relevant? Her look, you know, it's, I, and this yeah, guy is ridiculous. so high and mighty on his horse now about things, but he was doing <laughs> the same thing. And,
1: yeah. And let's be honest, man. She was absolutely gorgeous at WrestleMania eight. The last time we seen her, I think that was the hottest she was in the WWF, I think. So there's no way she just fell off the map as far as looks go in that three and a half period. Unless you went into a deep depression with over Savage, which it sounds like it was mutual and they were both ready to move on. So uh, there's no reason for that to happen. So, again, I'm with you. Why the hell even report on this? Why take the time to run her down when she's making her come back into the business? Like, just be happier. Just report that she's coming back and be done with it.
0: Yeah, I think my just biggest issue wasn't wasn't even heard, just like just the reporting. Nothing. No, yeah. I agree. And I my biggest part wasn't even necessarily the reporting, which that is the entire thing, but it's that you never even saw her. You're going off some random guy that works behind the scenes in WCW that told you this and you're repeating it like you know for like this is fact. You don't. I mean, it's crazy. And it's all about how somebody their appearance just insane. But we'll move on for now because I'm sure that won't be the last time we shit all over to melts here. As we head to the (laughs) ring after the macho promo or, you know, the one where Hogan comes out and says, good luck, buddy, but I want first crack at the belt. It's world champion, Rick Flair with Jimmy Hart in his corner. What an odd pairing. It's still, I understand there's a loose basis there between the dungeon of doom and the four horsemen, but there's also issues between the two sides. Very odd that Jimmy Hart keeps accompanying Flair to the ring as he takes on the macho man, Randy Savage here. Flair immediately tries to rekindle his one-time rendezvous with Woman way back when in the, uh, say, 1990-ish. And mm-hmm. uh, he goes over, he looks for a smooch, sticks his lips out, and gets him slapped off by Woman. And uh, the crowd pops huge there. I'm not sure how many people in the crowd knew who Woman was at this point 96, but uh, they got a big enough pop, I thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, unless you was watching ECW, you probably kind of maybe forgot about Woman. Because she's disappeared. I don't know when she was last seen in WCW. Was it 90 with Flair? Was that it?
0: Yes. Yeah. She kind yeah, of so disappeared out of there.
1: It's been a while since you've seen her. So um, I know you got some notes on that going forward. But I also think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, they did a pretty good job of selling her history with Flair and just the company in general when they seen her. So yeah. that that's a plus. They didn't get lazy on that.
0: Well, I, I'm going to correct you. You're correct. I mean, I, but I'm going to add to that. They didn't do a good job going back and, and covering the history of woman and Ric Flair. Bobby Heenan, the guy who was working for yes. the other company at the time that the storyline actually happened way back in 1990, he is the one who does a good job because it seems like he did his homework here. And I was really impressed by Bobby instead of phoning it in, as he points out that six years ago, Flair and woman had history in the NWA. And of course, Eric Bischoff hadn't been to the in the hadn't entered the company yet himself and he just kind of goes yeah 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 and Heena's trying to like actually tell the story so mongo has no idea which is <laughs> oh yeah i don't i don't funked <laughs> that and then eric bischoff really doesn't seem to care or, or study up on the back history he knows there was history he has nothing no idea what's going on so leave it to bobby heenan to go back in time and reference something from a company he wasn't even a part of just to help get it over so i thought that was a i was really impressed that he took the time to go do that because that's not really bobby's cup of tea
1: no it's definitely not and you just everybody just remembers heenan as the comic guy and just being stupid on commentary you know saying crazy things and stuff like that but i've been most impressed by him as far as his work i forgot how good he did you know putting guys like eddie guerrero and crispin Juan, and he doesn't care if they're heel or face he's just giving credit where credit's due because nobody else he i think he realizes and we've mentioned this before he realizes that these other two have no clue what the hell's going on or how to get anybody over through their commentary so he's kind of picking up the weight there so I'm, I'm glad he did do this i can't fault mongo he's probably on the gridiron you know working out doing what he has to do to be a pro football player so i can't really blame him for not knowing the history of the nwa uh from six years ago but bischoff right. He was with AWA at the time, right? He should know something going on with wrestling, all what's kinda of going on. But it just goes to show you he was just here for a paycheck, it seems like.
0: How We're he got also, the position.
1: He probably could just talk well, I guess.
0: Yeah, Bobby Heenan's even doing play by play at this point by doing these type of things. So it's crazy. Bobby Heenan's even the one that points out that the Road Warriors have reunited for the first time since SummerSlam ninety two. We'll see them together as part of Clash of the Champions. They make it sound like it's going to be a match, and I don't know if that was a the original intentions, but we do wind up just seeing a promo from the roadies at the Clash. But so in the matter of the first 10 minutes of the show, we see woman return to the company. We see Miss, El- We hear Miss Elizabeth on her way back to the company, as well as the road warriors. Uh, Bischoff's really making a play at this point. And uh, it's uh, shots fired again from WCW with all of these names. Vince goes and gets Vader, goes and gets Jake, things like that. And Eric Bischoff right back with Woman and Miss Elizabeth and the, the Legion of Doom.
1: He also announced Kevin Green for the Clash, which is that's pretty right. huge because it's like the week of the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, like yeah, very smart. It's the Super Bowl, so that's, they definitely <laughs> – he's pulling out all the stops for this Clash of the Champions, and he almost has to. I, I know we've already reviewed it for our Patreon, but, man, what a dumpster fire. So getting all these added attractions is definitely what was needed because the, the matches themselves sucked.
0: And it works, uh, ratings-wise, it works, so.
1: Yeah, it does, so. Who knows?
0: World title match starts with a fight on the floor, and then into the ring, Jimmy Hart distracts Rick, while Ric Flair pitches Randy Savage over the top rope, so it's not a disqualification. Macho Man comes back, but misses a top rope axe handle off the top rope to the floor, landing into the guardrail as we head into commercial. And back from break, it's more back and forth. Ric Flair with the figure four. Flair even grabs the ropes, which Randy Anderson, the referee, catches and grabs Ric Flair by the hair. I always love that spot. Grabbing Flair by the hair, forcing him to release the figure four, and then Flair gets into a shoving match, which Randy Anderson fights right back. Good old little little Randy Anderson there. Flair <laughs> then makes his way to the top rope, but he's a heel, Steve, so what happens? He gets slammed right off, and he hits the deck hard. What not you know, says Eric Bischoff. Does. Macho Man makes his comeback, too, flying double axe handles, but Jimmy Hart distracts letting Ric Flair hold Randy Savage while Arn Anderson comes in with brass knuckles, but the macho man ducks and Arn hits the nature boy. And Randy Anderson turns around just in time to see the entire thing. I think he turned around a little too early. Literally Randy Anderson turns around and then Arn Anderson nails Ric Flair. And Randy even has to throw his hands up. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And it's Hulk Hogan <laughs> immediately down to yank Arn Anderson off the apron. As Randy Savage goes up top for the flying elbow. And the fucking bell is ringing as Savage comes down with the elbow. Meanwhile, the match isn't over. Macho Man makes the cover. One, two, three. And Randy Savage regains the title in 10 minutes. And I'm sure Hogan probably takes credit for it somehow here. In a minute is what I wrote here in my notes. We'll see what happens in a moment. And the fucking bell rang again while the cover, while, while he was counting one, two, three. So Whoever's off the timekeeper, whoever's in charge of the bell, they ring the bell as Savage is dropping the elbow. They ring the bell again during the three count while they're watching the referee make the three count. They really wanted this to be a disqualification badly. And obviously, they thought it was a DQ. It wasn't. Randy Savage walks out, new, and once again, WCW world champion.
1: Yeah, it was a decent little match. Nothing, I mean, nothing to write home about in a different time in a different era. Probably been a really good match because they'd be forced to work a little bit more. But since it's Nitro, it's a one-hour show. And, uh, you know, you got the angle at the end here. It wasn't, it didn't get enough time to marinate for me, but it was a solid match.
0: So as I was watching the match and as Hogan yanked Arn Anderson off the apron after Arn Anderson hit Ric Flair with the brass knuckles, I wrote in my notes here, uh, macho wins title and Hogan probably takes credit for it somehow. Let's see what happens in the (laughs) post-match interview. It's Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan in the ring with, ha, call the hotline, mean Gene Okerlund. Hulk Hogan's celebrating more than the Macho Man, to which Savage reminds Hogan who won the match and who's WCW champion. Macho says they're friends, but he's the champion. I'm the champion brother right there. Uh-huh. Gonna put my name on the belt. Hulk Hogan congratulates Macho Man, but he says Macho won the title with a little help from the Hulk. I don't know what the fuck he's referencing other than yanking Arn Anderson off the apron, but I knew he was going to do it. And Hulk Reminds the Macho Man, he wants the first title shot. And Randy Savage here, great line, I'm not Nick Nor and, and he says he's not Nick Bockwinkle. He's not the WCW committee. He's just the champion. And shoves that in uh, Hulk Hogan's face. I loved it. <laughs> and basically what Macho's saying there is, he doesn't make the decisions. He doesn't decide who his challengers are. So Hulk, Hulk may want a title shot, but he's going to have to go talk to Bockwinkle and the crew to... Get that done. So Macho is very open to wrestling anyone for the belt, but he says if he wrestles Hulk Hogan, he wants the match to be in Caesar's Palace. And I don't know what the storyline was there; they were trying to go for just maybe to get a big pop from the fans that were here in Caesar's. But Gene reminds them they have Flair and the Giant tomorrow at the Clash.
1: Yeah, this is this was top notch work by Randy Savage. It almost feels like there's a little shoot going on here, like because he says Hogan was prating around like he just won the belt. He's probably been wanting to say that since 1988. Because <laughs> if you you know, everybody's seen it now when Hogan's parading around like he won the title of WrestleMania 4 and never really gave Savage that moment. And he's just shoving it in his face just to stick it in his crawl that he's the champion, but kind of doing it indirectly. But yeah, this was pretty funny. Hogan got put in his place by Macho here.
0: You're walking um, around like you won the belt.
1: I won yeah, the belt. Pretty much. That's how it went. The comment about Caesar again, the Melts. He said that there was a possibility that Nitro was going to be taped from Caesar's Palace year-round. That's that was going to be like their home base and do everything there. So I'm wondering if that's why Savage made that hint because it was maybe possibly in the works at the time. So who knows? That's probably why they did it because Meltzer was speculating. Like, well, there's no, they're not going to be on Caesar be at Caesars anytime soon. But what's funny is. We kind of do get that match, even though the roles are reversed, but it's Halloween Havoc, right? I think they're at, they're at Caesars. Uh, they run Caesars there for that show, or MGM Grand, one of them. It's in, it's in, uh, it's in Vegas, so it's kinda, it kind of works out, but we've got to wait till October for that.
0: And we'll move on with the show. It's Dean Malenko taking on Brian Pillman of The Horseman. And any other year, this would have been a tremendous match. But unfortunately, it appears at this point Brian Pillman has given up attempting to wrestle in favor of just playing this crazy character tenfold. As even Eric Bischoff puts over on commentary how crazy Brian Pillman is, how close he is to getting fired from WCW, at least in so many words. Brian Pillman crawls around, gets into the camera, his face into the camera, tries to climb over the guardrail into the fans. Absolutely ridiculous here. And Pillman slaps Dean Malenko. And finally, we see some action as Malenko takes him down. Brainbuster by Dean Malenko, which Bischoff calls a suplex. Then a neck breaker, which Bischoff refers to as a reverse chin breaker. So Eric Bischoff uh, (laughs) doing his best uh, front leg ass kick early and often in this matchup. Brian Pillman busts out the Tornado DDT, but he refuses to cover. Dean Malenko comes back with a Tiger Bomb, and the two men go to the floor, and then it's Pillman to the top rope. Pillman tries another Tornado DDT, but he's thrown off. Dean Malenko in the middle of the ring with a giant gut buster. Has uh, Pillman up over his shoulders like we saw a few weeks ago with JL where he did it off the ropes. Dean just stands center ring with brian pillman in a fireman's carry position and flings him up over his head down into a gut buster gets a big pop from the fans and dean malenko with a leg pick and a grapevine looking for submission brian pillman gets to the ropes and rolls to the apron dean gets his foot trapped in between the bottom and middle ropes and he takes a bump backwards into the ring brian pillman was to shoot through the apron and land on top of dean immediately so that the referee couldn't see dean's foot caught in the rope however pillman slips off the apron Falls off the apron with Dean laying there with his foot visibly caught in the ropes. You can't miss it as Nick Patrick just stands over him as if he doesn't see it. Pillman quickly shoots back in, covers, and gets the win. But it's so obvious that Nick Patrick saw Dean Malenko's leg was trapped in the rope during this pinfall cover. They tried to save face with Dean, but I wasn't buying the finish. Pillman quickly recovers, gets the win, 6 minutes, 15 seconds. What would you think of it?
1: Yeah, the match was messed up because the rope was broke. Uh, It was really, really loose. I know during the match, Malenko whipped Pillman into the ropes, and he damn near fell out of the ring because the rope was super loose. Uh, I think it was the middle one. It was almost sagging to the point where if you stepped on it, it would have messed up. So it looked really sloppy in parts. I mean, I thought the match, once it got going a little bit, was pretty solid. But again, a lot of the stuff was kind of messed up because of the rope, and um, it it just made it not very good. Well, me. they
0: lo- they loosened the rope specifically for the finish. That's why the rope was loose yeah. going into the match. Unfortunately, Pillman slips off super, and they blew the finish. Yeah, EV. yeah, uh, that's what happens yeah, when I mean, you're live. You couldn't even use it. <laughs> you have two minutes to loosen it, and you don't have time to check it. And <laughs> this is what you get. And then you know yeah. they blow the finish anyway, or Pillman does. So the whole thing not very good by standards of either guy. To be honest with you. Yeah,
1: they, is, you couldn't even use the rope, essentially. I know. I think Pillman slipped on one of the tornado DDTs because it was so loose. Unfortunate.
0: This week on WCW Saturday Night, Johnny B. Bad takes on Ming. The Harlem Heat take on the American Males. Ric Flair goes up against Alex Wright, and Sting and Lex Luger will team up. And it's back to the ring here on Nitro. WCW Tag Team Champions Harlem Heat taking on Sting and Lex Luger, and there's no Sherry, who has apparently abandoned her Tag Team Champions in favor of Long Dong Silver, Colonel Rob Parker. And the baby faces dominate early as Sting with the Scorpion early on on Stevie Ray, but Booker T comes in with the axe kick from behind, while Lex unintentionally distracts referee Nick Patrick. Boy, Nick Patrick's having a, a bad night early on. Harlem Heat on Sting in what feels like forever. Sting finally a lot of hope spots, tries to fight his way out of their corner, but a double gourd buster on Sting sees Booker T climb to the top rope for the Harlem hangover, but he misses. And Sting finally with a hot tag to Lex Luger, but the referee doesn't see it. And Jimmy Hart arrives at ringside. Remember, Jimmy Hart is Luger's manager. However, the deal that Sting and Luger have is is that Jimmy Hart can't be at ringside during their matches. So even though Lex is all for it, Sting's not here. And Jimmy Hart hands Luger a roll of silver dollars on the apron. And Sting finally makes the hot tag to Lex. The referee is busy with Sting and Stevie Ray. So Luger takes the time to nail Booker T with the roll of silver dollars. Money flying everywhere. And just like last match, last finish, Nick Patrick has to ignore this as well. And we have new tag team champions as Luger knocks out Booker T, gets the win. They get the titles. Nine minutes, 33 seconds. Nick Patrick, what a night for him. And Lex looks amped as they win the titles. Sting looks excited too but he isn't aware of what's transpired and the way they won the belts. So uh, story continues here with Lex and Sting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the transition from, you know, is Sting going to turn or what's the deal? Can you trust him and all that to be in tag team? So they they did a good job of extending this as far as they do. I know I've talked about that a lot, but I really enjoy it. I think Sting's happy at first. Then he sees all the silver dollars laying in the ring and he kind of like does it deep breath and it's like, really? Come on, man. That type so, of deal.
0: So Sting, Sting saw Sting the silver dollars project. from the floor, but Nick Patrick yeah. didn't see the silver dollars in front of his face. All right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Sting saw him in the ring too, but either way, Nick Patrick's having a rough night. Yeah, but, he
0: um, needs his eyes checked. I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, Sting, I think Sting, is, uh, Sting did well. This was a decent match. It went a little long for me. I uh, got a little sloppy uh, if you're asking like Stevie Ray to carry a match. <laughs> so uh, other than that, a uh, Booker did well. Sting did well. Luger was Luger for whatever reason. He gets a pop initially. Then it just kind of fades away. But yeah, decent match.
0: And we move on with the United States champion, the one man gang taking on Hulk Hogan. But this is non-title because apparently Hogan is above the U S title. Steve, they don't say that, but that's basically what it is here. Non-title is Hogan. Doesn't want that title. Fuck that belt.
1: Oh, they, say it. they say it without saying it. I mean, that's why, that's why I put up my notes. Hogan doesn't even want a shot at this title. It makes, it makes that U.S. title meaningful, huh?
0: And the gang attacks Hogan, but Hogan ain't selling. One-man gang dodged a big boot early, goes out to the apron, but gets knocked off the apron and takes a bump to the floor. Eric Bischoff wonders if Ric Flair and Miss Elizabeth have something going on. And I wrote, wow, seriously? Eric Bischoff trying to be Nostradamus here. I wrote, asshole-damus off trying to give away future storylines, unless it's not in the plans at this point. I can't say, but I, I, if it is, I thought it was real shitty of him to basically plant the seeds already before Elizabeth even debuted.
1: It's probably not even in the cards, let's be honest. They have no idea what they're doing day to day, let alone three weeks from now.
0: I wrote here the one-man gang is really trimmed down. Obviously, he's still a, a big guy, but he's trimmed down from what he once was, and he bumps really good here, and Hulk Hogan doesn't want to even sell for the gang. But the gang manages to take uh, several shots. And once again, another man hits the deck hard on a Hulk Hogan clothesline this time. Finally, gang is allowed to slam Hulk Hogan. First really offensive move of the match that Hogan has to sell. And by sell, I mean lay there. And which sets it up. The big 747. But for some reason, the gang doesn't even go for the cover but we get a Hulk up anyway. Have you noticed this lately with Hulk Hogan? I don't know if he thinks this gets him even more over. These guys aren't even covering him anymore after they hit him with something. He's just popping up and hulking up without the big old two count beforehand. It's really odd and it's more prominent here as he's taking the big 747 and the gang just decides, eh, i going to go for the cover. And then Hulk Hogan pops up. He hulks up. I wrote, what the fuck? They don't even go into a cover anymore. And that's what I was trying to get to with you here. And, of course, it's the Hulk up, the big boot, the body slam, the leg drop, brother. Let's run through them all, dude. Four minutes. Can you believe it? Four minutes. It only took for Hulk Hogan to beat the mighty one-man gang.
1: Four minutes, huh? (laughs) I mean, that just makes one-man gang useless. Uh, So whatever you paid him to come in, I guess it's just to lay down for Hogan. Um, I I don't understand why he doesn't even allow him to get a pin. At least make it look interesting. But at this point, he doesn't even care. It almost feels like he's fighting a lot of guys that he did in WWF uh, back in the 80s. So, you know, we've all seen the big splash from the gang and he kicks out and does all that garbage. So maybe he thinks nobody wants to see it in 96. I just thought it was funny. Like every time he does this, the crowd just boos every single time. So it's like the complete opposite of what he was getting in the WWF. Uh, And they're over this shit. They're completely done with it. As soon as he starts shaking his head, they're done. He's in panic mode. I guess he's doing whatever he can to make himself even stronger, even though that's what's making him less likable. So Yeah.
0: So Hogan drops the leg on the Gang, and what a great match that would have been way back when Gang first came to the WWF in eighty seven. But unfortunately, this is ninety-six, and it's no discredit to Gang. He's not being booked in any real as any real threat. Certainly not to Hulk Hogan. And the Hulkster gets the win no. there, and that's when some of the dungeon comes running in. We see Zodiac. We see uh, Kevin Sullivan, the horsemen come in, Arne, Pillman, Benoit. It's about a six on one here. And Savage joins the fight. He and Hogan fend off everyone who's trying to get in the ring. Zodiac and others start holding back the giant who makes his way down. They, they ask him to wait for the clash. Kevin Sullivan tells the giant to wait for tomorrow night when they get Savage and Hogan in a tag match, flair and the giant too. Everyone holding the giant back except Brian Pillman who's doing the crazy shtick as he eggs the giant on to get in the ring and do some damage, continuously pissing off Kevin Sullivan here. And Bobby Heenan points out there's something up with the Zodiac because he's always the one holding the giant back from attacking Hulk Hogan. So the seeds continue to grow for the, the booty, 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 booty
1: man, dude. Heenan's doing a great job with the, with the feuds and the things like that. I mean, he's not, He's not letting anything slip through the cracks. Uh, I can't say the same for the other two, but um, he's doing an excellent job. He's the only person to really listen to when it comes to commentary. He still gets his gimmick over as far as what he normally talks about, but he also takes the time to get a lot of these young talent over, gets the storylines over, plants the seeds, gives history. I mean, he's on top of his game. This is arguably the best Heenan is or has been as far as being being an actual – you know somebody who's actually telling the stories and and things like that. Whereas when he, you know he's working with Gorilla and, and those guys, it was very fun and entertaining in a different way. But just imagine if guys like if Heenan wasn't there for guys like Eddie and Benoit, who like <laughs> Mongo and Bischoff want to talk about Hogan all the time, and Heenan's actually putting over Eddie Guerrero. So um, if you're not if you just have paying attention to the matches and you're just listening to the commentary. Heenan's doing what you need him to do to get these guys over, and um, it's a true credit to how much he knew, or you know, he always played it off like he didn't know what he knew what was going on, but he didn't really show that. Here he's doing it, and it's great. I love Bobby Heenan right now.
0: Yeah, it's almost like he's actually doing the gimmick that he claimed to be doing in the WWF, where he said he was a broadcast analyst and what was the the term he always used when they when Gorilla broadcast journalist. Yeah, broadcast journalist. That's it. It's funny that he actually is a broadcast journalist here. He's being forced to. Well, he's not being forced mm-hmm. to, but if he's not doing that, the product is much, much shittier, at least from my standpoint, as I'm sitting there trying to comprehend what the hell's going on.
1: I agree. I agree with you 100%. He's a he's a, he's a lifesaver out there for us. He's that little buoy, you know, just just holding it down for us.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's Mean Gene in the ring with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage because you kind of have two Hulk Hogan promos per show at the very least, dude. It's right. got to be the rule at this point. Now, let's, let's be honest here. Now, Randy Savage out here for two promos, he's pretty lucky because there's no way Randy Savage is, even though he's a, you know, a hell of a promo, there's no way Randy is getting two promos in, in a single hour, brother, unless is he's in the ring one? with Hulk Hogan. It's a
1: third this one. It's our third one. Hmm. They start off when he comes out with all the women, right? Yes, right. And when then Hogan after the match. right? Here then, we go. You're and right. then after the match, and then, yeah.
0: Well, let's be You're honest. Bored. The only only reason Randy Savage has so many promos on the show is because he's tied in with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's not uh, a knock on the Macho Man at all. It's just, that's just the reality of it.
1: That's WCW in 1996, as far as Nitro is concerned.
0: So Savage still selling the match with Hogan at Caesars. He says when they wrestle, he wants to wrestle him at Caesars. So that kind of goes along with what you were talking about. Where Meltzer's kind of selling the point that WCW might make Caesar's Palace their home base for Nitro doesn't happen, and we never really hear this again. Savage selling the Caesar's match. Hogan says the One Man Gang was the first step. I wrote, really? He's just starting now because he's been what he's been be- yeah he's been beating the shit out of everyone for weeks, maybe month. Maybe he doesn't want to play up that he beat Ming. Maybe maybe he's afraid of Ming. I don't know. But if this is his first (laughs) step, I don't know what the hell's been going on for the last couple months when he's been no-selling everyone and beating the shit out of Hugh Morris and all these other guys. But the gang is the first step. So maybe early, uh, early CTE here from the Hulkster. And he notes the secret weapons. And as secret as they are, they've already been announced much earlier on the show. Hogan reminds us once again, it's Kevin Green from the Pittsburgh Steelers heading into the Super Bowl later this week. And Miss Elizabeth returns tomorrow to Clash. I think it's odd that they're referring to them as secret weapons as they announce who they are.
1: <laughs> Makes sense, huh? Got to pop the rating somehow. And now would you tune in? Like, so if you just heard, we got two secret weapons coming tomorrow. You got to tune in to find out. Are you still going to be intrigued enough? Or if you hear the, words no, I think Miss Elizabeth Rainer, is your Elizabeth. selling
0: point. Yeah. I think Miss Elizabeth is your selling point. Let's be honest. I, I knew a lot of wrestling fans. I've, literally literally seen wrestling fans not know who very famous football basketball athletes are when they're walking right in I literally stood in a line one time for a Monday night raw as Steph Curry well the entire Warriors walked past us I mean literally 2 feet from us walking down the uh, aisle there to get into the building and Steph Curry just just for some reason stopped right in front of me for whatever reason he's 2 feet from me and he stops and he looks around and he keeps going and I hear it seems like nobody else in the entire line besides myself and my kids know who these guys are. It blew my fucking mind. And because so many of them were wow. very tall men, obviously they're NBA players. I heard a few people go, oh, they must be basketball players because they're so tall. I go, are you fucking shitting me? And this is during the Warriors Cavs shit. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. you, that, that rivalry there. So they're at the height. They're already peaked. People should know who Steph Flash Curry is. By yeah, it's prime. it's it's crazy to like, I, be, wow. I witnessed that you know so and I, I and that wasn't the first time, but that's like my most prominent time that I really yeah. noticed it. I mean, I've seen other football players and things appear on shows, and I hear the fans around me go, "Who's that? Who's that?" And it's not somebody you shouldn't know. I mean, even loosely, you know if you even somewhat follow, you know, certain sports. So it's Kevin Green isn't really selling. The rating, I don't think, by popping tomorrow. But I wow. think Miss Elizabeth is. Out of curiosity, yeah. I myself and I can't. I really can't remember this class very well. To say that, oh, I only tuned in to see Elizabeth. I I don't know that. I don't even know if I knew that she was going to be there until she she showed up. <laughs> but right, I could see myself um, on know, Monday like, hearing that and going, oh, I gotta fucking see Miss Elizabeth tomorrow.
1: Right. Yeah, I just didn't know like if you would be more inclined to tune in if you knew who they were or if they just said we got secret weapons and didn't tell you who they were
0: well i think you know i'm not against them announcing that miss elizabeth's there tomorrow i'm just against them calling them secret weapons really it's all i was really getting at well
1: yeah 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 i know i get you i was just curious on your philosophy as far as maybe booking like would you tell everybody who they are or would you just say hey we got two surprises they're huge you need to tune in i think i would have announced
0: what i would have done i would have announced miss elizabeth and said, and there's another yeah. secret weapon. So that, holy shit, Elizabeth's only one of them. Who's the other one? And then yeah, Kevin Green, he's, he's not going to pop a rating. Uh, you know, Maybe on a pay per view, but not appearing in a corner on a. I mean, maybe I'm wrong because they were headed to the Super Bowl. It's not going to help that much, I don't think, though. So I'm, I'm thinking no, if it was dude. me, I'd say Miss Elizabeth. And who could the other one be if it's Miss Elizabeth's one of them? And then it ends up being Kevin Green. And some people are happy about it. And some people, wrestling fans, are probably going, who? Because that's just the reality yeah. of a lot of wrestling fans. They're they're not sports uh, fans per se. No, no. I was I I'm figured, a huge I figured, sports I fan.
1: There's a yeah, me too. I figured there's a lot of crossover appeal there. I guess not, not to the casual fan anyway. Wow.
0: But no, that's what I would have done. I would have sold Miss Elizabeth hard, and I would have said, and there's another big special secret weapon too. And he's he, you know, maybe even dropped that it. it's a he. Mm-hmm. Who is it? Because then you might think it's a wrestler. You know, who's it? You know, and there's nothing wrong with it being Kevin Green. He did he did a good job. No. Bobby Absolutely Heenan, that. I wrote here at the end of the show, I can't give him enough props for this show. I, didn't, I knew that he's been doing a great job with the cruiserweights and the youngsters and things like that getting him over, but he shills the shit out of Clash of the Champions tomorrow, and I don't mean in an irritating way. He just makes it sound like it's such a huge deal. Great stuff. Bobby Heenan actually cares right now. Remember over on the Wrestling Grenade 1989 NWA, we did Steiner Watch 89 to figure out when Rick Steiner kind of lost that push? even though he necessarily didn't, he just kind of went over into the tag team scene. We should do Heenan watch here on Monday warfare and see when it really becomes obvious that Bobby Heenan just doesn't give a shit anymore because he finally realizes, hey, if you guys don't give a shit, I don't give a shit.
1: Yeah, I I say we do it. Um, I I don't recall this lasting too long,
0: but uh,
1: (laughs) I'm here for it as long as it does.
0: I think Bobby really was into the whole NWO thing early because it was something to sell, a big angle. He realized it was something huge. But I am curious to see when it's just like whatever, because I know it comes eventually.
1: Yeah. I think the big thing that Heenan did take from WWF was the ability to sell a big show. The Bischoff doesn't really do it. He just sounds like a whiny bitch, to be honest with you. And um, I'm not buying what he's trying to sell. It just seems like propaganda, especially with the way he works things with as far as trashing the WWF all the time, giving away results, those little pot shots. Uh, you could tell he's in a position of power uh just by the way he handles himself on commentary right so it almost feels like the 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 owner is telling you to buy my product whereas bobby's doing it in a way that it's it's wrestling you know hey man you got to tune into this show you never know what's going to happen we got kevin green we got miss elizabeth who else who knows who else is here uh you got to tune in like it's just shilling the show the way you want like you know it's just you're selling it and uh so it's a different dynamic and as long as Heenan's there doing that, you're fine. But as soon as that disappears and he kind of just packs it in, which I <laughs> can't say I blame him at all.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Bobby was already told quite a while him. ago by Bischoff that he's not doing the WWF shtick here. That's not what he was hired to do. That's not what he wants from him. So Bobby's already abandoned to a degree the the Bobby Heenan we knew from the WWF. The, the jokes aren't as plentiful and the yeah. character's not the same. He's more of a, a straight-faced guy a lot more than, than often than not at this point. And Eric Bischoff, you're right, he does come off as the spoiled rich kid who has no repercussions. Mm-hmm. And his daddy here, for all intents and purposes, is Ted Turner, Mr. Moneybags. And Eric Bischoff is walking high and mighty right now. You can tell by the way he puts uh, carries himself on TV. He There is no repercussions mm-hmm. for him, and he's, he's not worried about it. And talk about the battles within the war. Vince, like I said, he goes against Vader. Jake the Snake Roberts is back. Bischoff over here, he says, okay. Well, we got Woman, we got Miss Elizabeth, Hawk and Animal are coming tomorrow. Big deal here. And segment of the night, Steve, is it Savage versus Flair? I know that's one of your favorite feuds of all time. Not necessarily the WCW version, but in general. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus the gang, the big four-minute squash, basically. Uh, Sting and Luger winning the belts. What's your uh, segment of the night?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with Savage and Flair. You're absolutely right. I think for whatever reason, these two just had – perfect chemistry it's not like a steamboat flair classic or, or or things like that you know in that vein it's just for whatever reason and i don't know if it's because savage had the girl and flair wanted the girl if that's what did it for me like hooked me when i was a kid and i never really lost it um but these guys for whatever reason like i said they just have perfect chemistry in the ring they're the perfect antagonist to each other and i i love watching them work whenever i can um, and also my other favorite part is Savage putting Hogan in his place, uh, parading around like he won the damn belt when it's Savage who won. I honestly feel like there's some truth to be said there. And I think he did feel that like, Hey man, you need to get the hell out of my limelight. I'm the champion right now. Move over. Cause he never had that obviously. The only problem is just Hogan just doing what he's doing is in overdrive right now, and it's it, it's garbage. It, ugh, March can't get here soon enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, then we'll be without the, the uh, Hulkster. Sure. Once Hulk Col- Hogan uh, basically obliterates the entire heel roster A WCW on the way out, they always say leave things better than when you, <laughs> when you got here, right? And Hulk Hogan doesn't follow that in any way, shape, or form uh, by the time we get to Uncensored. But that's still a few weeks off, so we'll stick here in january of 96 for now and as we head over to raw for the january 22nd edition live edition of monday night raw before that the night before was the wwf 1996 royal rumble available now as a watch along as a special edition of the wrestling memory grenade our other show our sister show which you can listen to anywhere. You listen to your podcast streaming apps, and I'm talking Spotify, I'm talking Google Pod, Apple Podcast, uh, Podcast Addict, anywhere in between, and of course, WrestleCopia.com. It's episode number 20, the 20th edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, and free for your listening pleasure, I should add. The watch along on the WWE Network, or just sit back and let us entertain you, listen to the show. We had a lot of fun doing the Royal Rumble 96, and uh, just going to run down very quick results here as we kick things off with a 30-minute free-for-all show with a match on it featuring Triple H taking on Duke the Dumpster Drosy, where the winner would receive the number 30 and the loser would receive the number 1. And we see Duke the Dumpster get the win over Triple H via reverse decision disqualification after President Gorilla Monsoon comes to ringside and exposes Triple H as having used a foreign object to initially get the win, so Drosy gets the number 30, Triple H gets the number 1. That match went 6 minutes, 25 seconds. And we move on to the pay-per-view where Ahmed Johnson gets the DQ win, two DQs in a row, over Jeff Jarrett. When Jarrett comes off the top rope intentionally with a guitar shot right in front of the referee, very blatant. Jeff Jarrett gets disqualified. Ahmed gets the win, six minutes, 40 seconds. The world tag team champion smoking guns over the body donnas in 11 minutes, 14 seconds. And I put a note here, Sonny is becoming more of a sex symbol character now, and not so much just the body donnas manager. And the Donna's do the job only a couple weeks after debuting as a team on TV, basically because they were taking the place of Sid and the 123 kid, who may or may not have were scheduled to win the titles here. That part I'm not sure about, but Sid's out with an injury. The kid's kind of in the doghouse anyway. So the guns over the body Donna's. We move on. Goldust wins the Intercontinental title over Razor Ramon in 14 minutes, 17 seconds after interference from said 123 kid. And then it's Shawn Michaels over Diesel, the last man eliminated, in the Royal Rumble match. Match went 58 minutes, 49 seconds, saw the debut of Vader, saw the return of Jake to Snake Roberts, and Shawn Michaels wins and goes on to WrestleMania 12 to challenge for the World Heavyweight title. And then last but not least, The Undertaker defeats World Heavyweight Champion Bret Hart by disqualification. Match went 28 minutes and 31 seconds when the Undertaker landed a tombstone on Bret Hart and made the cover, but Diesel showed back up at ringside and yanked the referee out of the ring during the count, and somehow that caused Bret Hart to be disqualified. i still scratch my head about that. Of course, I should have mentioned Diesel and Undertaker had a cross paths in between the Rumble match and the world title match. Diesel wasn't happy. He'd lost the Rumble and uh, tried to take it out on a Taker. didn't really go over so well. Screws the Taker out of the world title here. And so we got that feud going on. Lots of DQs in the Rumble, the free-for-all. They opened the show with the Ahmed DQ. They closed the show with the Taker match with the DQ. So uh, I don't know that I I was happy with a lot of the booking there, but we're going to move on to the following night. WWF Monday Night Raw for January twenty 1996. We're live in Stockton, California at the Civic Auditorium before a sellout of 2,904. Wow, how detailed. 2,904 fans here. It's the post-Rumble show and the road to WrestleMania. Steve, what do you think? We're in the viewer discretion advised era now as Sonny's playing pool and lingerie to kick off the show.
1: She's looking good. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Once Sonny's upon a time. people, man. Yeah, once upon a time. Back then, I didn't care. I didn't know anything. I didn't know any different. And she was smoking hot. Uh, now that I know how she is and <laughs> all that goodness... Uh it's kinda hard to make it look at her the same and still find her attractive. Knowing the brain the brain inside the head, uh it's not clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, she's still gorgeous though here anyway.
0: Shout out to Sunny who's rocking in a uh a jail cell somewhere since last July because she was in there for a year, she got out, did her little OnlyFans gimmick, trying to show off, make a few bucks, showing some goodie goodies, I guess, if you want to call them that. I I think the milk's <laughs> gone bad to quote to quote a, a line from The Chappelle Show, The books gone bad, Charlie Murphy! But here we are, and uh, yeah, it's uh, sunny's looking good here in 1996, playing pool there. And we get highlights from the Royal Rumble to kick off the show. Keep everyone up to speed on what's going on. And Vince dubs this the first day on the road to WrestleMania. And I'm not really sure when Vince coined that phrase, but I was a little bit surprised to hear that sentence here in 1996.
1: It's a great sentence. I mean, it really gets your blood pumping. And it also, you get that special feeling in the air. You know, something's going to be good on uh, Raw. It should be every week between now and Mania, uh, including the In Your House in between. It's just something special about that road to WrestleMania. And in 96, it was no different.
0: We kicked this show off hot, Steve. And I don't just mean sunny. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's Vader. The man who debuted last night at the Royal Rumble made quite a showing for himself before being eliminated by, of course, Shawn Michaels. Vader here to take on Savio Vega. I I thought, didn't Savio get enough at the Rumble? He really got worked over pretty stiff by Vader throughout that Rumble. I feel like Savio was the sacrificial lamb for Vader in the Rumble match. And here he is again here today on Raw. Savio being a trooper, though and vader beats down savio in the corner with some really stiff shots huge pops as vader plays with the crowd and why not he's got that 1989 1990 sid syndrome where the crowd just can't help but love it because he's literally beating people up for real
1: oh yeah you savio. couldn't ask for a better opponent for vader no than savio yeah that's the first note i put down i, I was like i like that they gave vader savio right away he's gonna make him look like a million bucks And he's still somewhat over, you know, Uh, he's been treading water since he's debuted, but he's believable and people like him. So perfect, perfect opponent for Vader here.
0: Savio does finally make a comeback, a very brief comeback as he knocks Vader out to the floor, but Vader lands on his feet and back inside. It's a death avalanche I wrote in the corner because Savio, I don't know if there was mistiming. It didn't look bad. Don't get me wrong, but Savio almost kind of started to walk out of the corner as Vader smashed him. With that, you know how Vader usually runs guys over. You talk about when he claps his hands and he runs guys over and, and mauls them. Mm-hmm. He kind of did that in the corner with the Avalanche here, <laughs> and it looked nasty. And poor Savio Good. eats the Vader bomb. Vader beats Savio Vega, an upper mid Carter, in my opinion, in a matter of three minutes. But he's not done here. He continues his insult on Savio post match. Lands another Vader bomb. Referee Jimmy Corderas down. He gets all over Vader. Threatens him. And then Vader grabs Jimmy Corneris and beats the snails sh- sh- him t- nasty shot. Vader's really not being nice to these poor referees who really haven't done. They're just doing their job, doing their gimmick that they're supposed to be doing here. Cornett gets involved. He, he, pl- he pleads with Vader. Vader don't do this. Vader even threatens Jim Cornette. And Jim Cornette, for once, is the voice of reason, which is just crazy to think about. That's how big they're pushing Vader is just. A loose cannon, no pun intended, with the Brian Pillman thing. you completely different kind of loose cannon here.
1: Yeah. A big monster that's out of control is a little different than what Pillman's doing.
0: After having seen what happened to Jimmy Corderas, Jack Doan, poor guy, gets in the ring, and he, too, comes up to Vader and tells Vader, you can't do this here in the WWF. Vader doesn't give a shit. Stiffs the living hell out of poor Jack Doan. <laughs> that, that was plenty enough. I didn't realize he was going to powerbomb him but he does powerbomb poor jack doan into oblivion in the corner no less after a nasty legit stiff round prior to that so jack doan (laughs) took a cut not one but two for the team and this finally brings down president gorilla monsoon and boy steve i had been a fan of gorilla monsoon since day one the very first day i turned on wwf tv the very first time i saw gorilla monsoon i heard gorilla monsoon he is my you know my soothing voice. I could turn it on at night and go to sleep to prime time or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Gorilla Monsoon was a guy who had retired before I ever got to watch wrestling, basically, especially certainly the WWF. And only, time, only slivers of, of wrestling I ever got to see from gorilla growing up were from those Coliseum videos, very few and far between. And to see him for the first time, to my knowledge, even when the Brooklyn brawler took him out with the chair. Gorilla never really looked for revenge, never did did anything back. And that was Brooklyn Brawler, by the way. To see him get in the face of Vader here, I immediately became so excited, but worried at the same time. And Gorilla has had enough. He goes over to the ring announcer. He asks him to, I think it's the Fink. I'm not sure. I didn't mark that down, but Gorilla basically goes over to the ring announcer. He announces that Vader has been suspended indefinitely. Only 24 hours into his WWF run. I will say, when I heard that live the very first time, I had no idea what the hell was going on. It made no sense to me. That was a, a, definitely a new spin and an angle I had never seen before. Debut a guy and suspend him at the same time. Corny pleads with Vader. Let, let Jim Cornette handle this. So he's, he's begging Vader, let me handle this. Let me handle Monsoon. Vader don't want to be a part of that. Vader is pissed. Gorilla Monsoon goes over to check on Jack Doan. Vader comes over and spins Monsoon around, shoves the gorilla. <laughs> I can't tell you the last time I marked out this big for something way back then. Gorilla Monsoon in real time, 1996, live on my TV. The only time I got to see this unloads on Vader with three big gorilla chops. Things that we had been told from Coliseum videos. That was a signature other than the big splash. Those gorilla chops. Holy fuck, I'm watching this, and I'm marking out as I'm watching this. Gorilla makes the mistake, though, of after he chops Vader back to the corner, Gorilla turns around, being the gorilla, to go back and check on Jack Doan once more. But Vader comes from behind with an avalanche. And I wrote, you bitch. As he avalanches Gorilla from behind in the corner, drops a big elbow, and then the Vader bomb on WWE President Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, man, I was so torn here because it was great that they had debuted Vader. I was all on board for this big, giant Vader push, marking out as he was killing these referees and Savio, and then he goes and and splashes and and beats down and basically obliterates my childhood, I don't want to say hero, but my childhood commentator, Gorilla Monsoon. It really killed it for me a little bit, but I was just, holy shit. And Gorilla winds up getting stretchered out after Sean and Razor run Vader off. And I remember this angle because how do you forget this angle Steve you don't if you saw it before you don't forget this especially if you lived it when it happened but in my mind I didn't think it would hold up well so even though I knew what was coming I I I already knew it was coming so I didn't think I was really gonna get emotionally involved in it again here in 2021 like I wouldn't have the same excitement but oh my god fucking gorilla throwing down I went ape shit no pun intended
1: yeah man this was uh this was awesome Top to bottom. The match was great with Savio. It was only three minutes, but man, he was laying him in like we mentioned at Royal Rumble. He wasn't holding any punches just yet. Um, he was still Vader that everybody loves him from. You know, New Japan, WCW, those type of places, man. He's just beating the shit out of Savio. And then the Gorilla angle, man, I'm with you. Like Gorilla, he was the first guy I heard, you know, WrestleMania 7. So he called he was doing commentary. I watched that tape. Hundreds of times when I was a kid because that's really the only one I had for a while. I watched it all the time so uh, It's weird with gorilla. It almost feels like I loved it as a kid, but I love I love gorilla monsoon So you never seen him interact with the wrestler like when I was a kid I never seen the Brooklyn brawler angle I didn't know that and you obviously can't go back and watch it uh, unless you was a tape trader that sort of thing So I didn't see that till I was way older and that's really the only action that you see where Gorilla gets beat up of any kind, and so this this was the first time I've ever seen Gorilla Monsoon take any punishment from anybody. So as a kid, and like I said, I love Gorilla just like you do. So it's weird to explain this the 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 connection that a lot of people have with Gorilla Monsoon. It, it feels like the voice of your childhood. He feels like the dad, you know, like of WWF. He's mm-hmm. the he's the in between, he's like, okay, so you're here, and then he's there in the company, but he makes you feel welcome and at home, and it almost feels like a family atmosphere when you're listening to him talk. I don't know. It's really weird. It's a really weird dynamic. It's hard to explain. So when you see him get beat up, man, you're just like, holy, <laughs> it's Gorilla Monsoon, and he just got the shit beat out of him. You don't expect it. So it had a major impact. I think it I think it did what it was intended to do, and that was to get Vader over as this un. Stoppable force uncontrollable force and the fact that he got suspended 24 hours into his his reign just really emphasized the fact of this guy needs to be taken serious this was a this was a grand slam home run this wasn't even just a home run this was a grand slam this was a tremendous angle seeing gorilla get stretched out like you just he felt he felt like the, at this point he's the grandpa he's kind of older so you're like man is he really hurt like is he how bad is it i mean he can't take that much damage Just amazing. This was tremendous, and and I loved it. Uh, Even though I didn't like, I'm with you. I didn't like seeing Gorilla get hurt like that. But the fact that it was Gorilla, and it it was never done before, and it's never been done. It'll never be done after this. It's it's a memorable moment that I'll never forget for Monday Night Raw. Uh, I think it was. I think it was important.
0: I think it was important that he did it to someone like Gorilla because, like I said, up until he did that to Gorilla, I was (laughs) loving Vader. This is awesome. This is great. They don't want that. Vader is your heel. They don't want the fans to to be behind Vader. He's going to be their top heel. At least that was the plan here as he makes his debut. They need you to hate him. And what better way to hate him than your childhood, you know, your voice of your childhood in wrestling, Gorilla Monsoon, which we'd always been taught the announcers were untouchable, other than maybe Sean Mooney being thrown out of the screen by the Warrior or somebody getting their their suit a little roughed up, depending on who they were. Gorilla had never been touched by anyone outside of that brawler gimmick. So. I mean, just to see this, it was unexpected and it was huge. And then we go to commercial and we come back and Vader's backstage yelling at his own manager, Jim Cornette, grabs Jim Cornette by his dress shirt, sling him around a little bit. And Vader says, I'm declaring war on the entire WWF. And then he references the announcers, Mr. McMahon and Mr. And he forgets who's with McMahon, so he just growls. So he goes, Mr. McMahon, Mr. Grr! And it was that was kind of not good for the Vader persona, but at least he <laughs> covered it with a growl. So it's proven here. Then he
1: started beating up some lockers, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: he punched in a garbage can. Yeah, he's a little yeah. bit crazy here. So we saw what he did at the Rumble. He got eliminated, came back in, threw everybody out. Here on Raw, he kills Savio, he kills referees, he kills the WWF president. He doesn't give a shit, and he's slinging his manager around. Usually there's not dissension with your manager 24 hours <laughs> upon your debut with the company, so it's very much getting over that Vader can't be controlled in a completely different way than Brian Pillman, who's playing the crazy gimmick. Vader's playing like this badass motherfucker gimmick here, and we start off hot. Yay. They capitalize on Vader immediately. Great way to bring him in. Trouble is, Vader came in a little too early, but they wanted to get this over for the Rumble and Raw, which I don't doubt. Di- I I don't give him any shit for it's tremendous. <laughs> But unfortunately, Vader actually has shoulder surgery scheduled, which is why they're doing this suspension short-term anyway for Vader.
1: And I, to be honest, as far as I know, I don't think they've done... He didn't do anything in between now and the Rumble, right? Or not the Rumble, but WrestleMania. He's gone for a couple months, right?
0: Vader, I, I don't know when he comes back. I know there's an angle where they handcuff Yokozuna and beat yeah, him. Yeah, I know, I know. Beat he, on him. But I'm not sure I if that's pre-mania or... Up, but... I think, I think that's
1: leading into mania. Because yeah, like, I think that's the, the, end reason, your reason, house. I was, the reason I was asking. Yeah, the reason I was asking is it just feels like he does this super hot angle and then he's gone for three or four weeks and you don't even capitalize on it. And by the time he's back around, you almost forget about it. I mean, it's just this is one of those angles that you need to do it and then capitalize on it the very next week and just have him keep on doing this until uh, it gets to the point where a wrestler comes in to step up and say, "Hey." you're not going to do this anymore to our company, That's uh, that sort of deal. But see, he does this and then he disappears and you can't continue it and then it's like you you kind of lose it forever. It's almost like that Jerry Lawler, Bret Hart angle from 93 where it was so hot and then Lawler had to go because obvious reasons and they never rekindled that heat that they had on it. And I don't feel like Vader ever really regained what he got out of this. This initial two-day run here where he was just built up as an unstoppable force. And right. I know we'll talk about it more in episodes to come, but it just sucks he came in with an injury. Because it would have been awesome to see this week over week and what causes him to drop down a peg or two. Probably been a clique member, but, you know, that's just bullshit. But either way, it, it kind of stinks he had that
0: injury. We move on with the show. It's Razor Ramon, the former Intercontinental Champion, now taking on Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He's doing the valet gimmick now, where he brings a different lady out week after week. This week, it's a lady by the name of Shay Marks. Go look her up. See what she's doing now. I have no idea. Insert promo. Can look her up.
1: <laughs> Playboy Mono.
0: Oh, Not okay. Bad. No idea. Insert promo from Ted DiBiase and the 123 Kid. Ibiassi says Razor is whining about losing the Intercontinental title to Goldust last night at the Rumble, and the One Two Three Kid shows off a giant novelty-sized baby bottle, and Ted Ibiassi shows up a diaper. They have for Razor Ramon and all of his whining. So basically, they're calling Razor a baby, and that'll play into the feud going forward. And I wrote here, I never noticed how much the Click were getting their way match-wise during this period. We've seen a lot of Click on Click action here. This is no different. Coming out of the Goldust story, Razor basically moves away from the Goldust story for as long as he can, wrestling Triple H on TV here tonight, and then now we learn basically he's going to be set up to wrestle the kid at In Your House instead of Goldust, which was originally planned. So Razor getting his way there, getting to finish his feud, initial feud with the One Two Three kid at the February In Your House pay-per-view instead of the next chapter in the Goldust story. As the match gets going, it's typically Triple H in control more often than not throughout the match, but as Razor finally gets the upper hand, the 1-2-3 kid shows up at ringside and shoves a giant novelty-sized uh, baby bottle in Razor's mouth. And that makes Ramon fire up. He jumps out of the ring, lays out, well, he lays out Triple H, then jumps out of the ring and chases the kid around ringside, even being squirted with the baby bottle, and Ramon winds up getting counted out in about 8 minutes. And Razor gets pissed off, realizes he's lost the match, gets back in the ring, tries the razor's edge on triple H, but triple H escapes and runs off another bad night for the bad guy.
1: Yeah. I was wondering how he's going to get out of this one. I totally forgot about the kid coming out and interrupting. Yeah. It's crazy how much the click guys got to work each other. Um, week after week, after week, pay-per-view after pay-per-view after pay-per-view, one of them has a match with each other almost every single night. And, um, I can't say that it's a bad thing because they can, you know, most of them outside of Diesel can all work a decent match. Even Hunter at this point is pretty solid. So I'm not mad at it. It's just, again, it's one of those things that you know now that you didn't really know then. It just makes it less appealing because you know why, why it's happening instead of just enjoying it for what it
0: is. And Vince McMahon notes, for comedic purposes only, the final episode of Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room. And we head off to the wrestling war room where billionaire Ted is good at buying old assets and repackaging them. Old cartoons, old movies, old wrestlers. Ted wants one original idea. Scheme, after they think about it in a generic version of the Jeopardy theme, plays Scheme Gene ha, has an idea, but it's too hot for TV, Steve. So call the hotline. 1 900 Scheme Gene. To find out Mean Gene, or sorry, Scheme Gene's idea here. And that's pretty much how we close out this final Billionaire Ted's wrestling War Room before we move on to the press conferences.
1: Uh, Don't remind me. This is when the wheels fall off. Uh, They should have stopped it here. They had something decent, and then they just tried and tried and tried again, and it never really worked like those initial ones did.
0: It does continue all the way up until WrestleMania 12 where the Huckster and the Nacho Man will square off on the pre-show. gets moved to the pre-show anyway. And I wrote here, oh, for fuck's sake, Doc hendrix's Raw Band is back. Why? What? They tried this several months ago. It lasted like one week. And it seems like it's been back ever since the Raw Bowl now. I have no idea what, what Doc did to convince Vince to that this was a good idea. And we move on with it's the show. It's just
1: a waste of time here, man. I can't stand. I can't stand it either. It's so useless. But I guess it's better than hearing Doc Hendricks talk. I guess, right?
0: Is it better than DJ Ran all up in
1: your area? That's the question. Uh, (laughs) do they both suck? Yes.
0: (laughs) We get. I think Meltzer
1: made a comment about that. That your note there about Satori or whatever. He's like, man, is that dated. Because you how much uh, Vince is up on it.
0: Yeah, I had no, no idea.
1: I have no idea either.
0: Vince McMahon in the ring with a promo from the man who won the Royal Rumble at Shawn Michaels. HBK didn't want to have to tell us he told us so, but he told us so. He won the Rumble and he's going on to WrestleMania to challenge for the World Heavyweight title. Between now and WrestleMania, Shawn wants one thing, Owen Hart, and he'll do anything to get that match. Jim Cornette comes down to ringside he says he's the one that signs Owen's contract. Owen proved his point already. has nothing left to prove. And since Shawn Michaels says he'll do anything for the match, the only way Owen will get in the ring with Shawn Michaels would be if Shawn put up his mania spot on the line. So if Owen can beat Shawn Michaels, Owen gets the main event for the world title at WrestleMania rather than Shawn Michaels. Shawn says if the click wants it, he'll do it. How nice. Shawn Michaels accepts the challenge, and he will wrestle Owen Hart. We will learn at the upcoming February in your house pay-per-view. Sean then pitches Jim Cornette over the top rope. Feels like he was getting some retribution for the spot. They tried at the Royal rumble the night before when Cornette didn't really get over the top rope on first try. So Sean pitches Cornette out of the ring in segment. And we have Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart. So a fun little story in between the road to WrestleMania here. You have the rumble. This is the first time where somebody put their, their shot on the line. This is
1: really solid. Um, I like the way Cornette kind of coerced him into it. This was a pretty decent, it was kind of long interview with Sean. It, it took a little bit of time, but I thought they did a great job of kind of stalling and Cornette coming up with the, the idea here. So, this is very well done. I enjoyed it. it. Should be a decent match on paper. It's the click, you know how that rolls, right?
0: Absolutely. And I know how Doc Hendrix's raw band rolls as we get to listen, as you just pointed out, to the guitarist Satori. Yeah, that's Satori. How many times can Vince say Satori in a minute? Go back and watch this episode of Raw to find out. I don't even know what a Satori is. Apparently Dave Meltzer uh know was all the uh, knows all about Satori. I have no idea who the fuck this guy is, or why should I care that he's here in the raw band?
1: I have no idea either.
0: <laughs> back to the ring, it's Well, know. I don't, I, yeah, I'm not even looking the guy up. Could give a shit less. You guys want to tell us who Satori is? You can send it to us on Twitter at Monday Warfare. Hell, send it to us at WrestleCopia. Send it to us at at Wrestling Grenade. I could really give a shit less. You let us know who Satori is because I'm not doing (laughs) the time to, I'm not putting the time in to figure it out. As you go back to the ring, WWF champion, Bret Hart, taking on Intercontinental Champion Goldust. Now with Marlena, she made her debut last night at the Royal Rumble. And I wrote here, well... It's not Hogan versus Warrior as we see champion versus champion here. It's not title for title either as Brett's belt, the only belt on the line. And Lawler calls Vince homophobic. I thought that was interesting here as Goldust made his way to ringside. Uh, we get an insert promo from Goldust and Marlena as the action finally gets going. Goldust takes over with some of the basics, works a hammer lock, try to figure four spot, but gets kicked through the ropes to the outside at which point Goldust tries to leave. And I wrote, why? His title isn't on the line. He has nothing to lose here. He's challenging Brett for the world title. Why is he walking out? And then I wrote, oh, so that Razor Ramon could be seen waiting at the entrance so that he could throw Goldust back into the ring. Now it makes sense. And we go through two commercial breaks on this match. And we come back finally after the second commercial break and Brett's in the middle of the five moves of doom and then just simply locks in the sharpshooter. Just like that, Goldust submits. And I wrote, wow, in 10 minutes. Way to build up Goldust. Undefeated. Then he submits a day after winning the Intercontinental title. Who booked this shit?
1: I don't know who booked it. It's interesting because, you know, you obviously you got, you're building up Goldust. He just won your Intercontinental title. But he tapped out real quick here. It, Immediately. It wasn't even like he was struggling. It was Yeah, he wasn't even struggling in the sharpshooter. He just tapped out to get out of there. And I guess you can play that up as if you know what he's not going to win the WWF title uh his belt is not on the line he's not going to lose anything so i'm not going to get injured by sitting in this damn thing and struggling to get out of it i'm not going to get hurt so i'm just going to tap and get out of here take my belt and go home but at the same time you also got to think too brett hasn't had a decent win since he won the belt at survivor series it's always been dq after dq i I guess you have the in your house one but there's it wasn't like decisive. It was kind of a roll-up type deal again. So he hasn't really had a dominant win as your champion, and he's not going to get one anytime between now and Mania. This may be it, to be honest with you. So I get it from that standpoint too. That uh, maybe he, they thought like, okay, well we're looking at the thing here. There's not going to be a clean win anywhere. Might as well just give you one. So yeah, um,
0: I mean, it, it's me- interesting
1: and it's shitty, but at the same time, like they're kind of. They backed themselves in a the wall with this
0: one. Yeah, and me personally, if I'm booking, I'm not throwing Goldust under the bus here. And I don't care that he did the job. I'm not either. Could have easily been a, a pinfall of some sort or, or something like that. It wasn't even that it was the sharpshooter. That's his finisher. I mean, if he gets it on somehow in a creative way, a clever way, and Goldust fights it for 20 seconds and then gives up, that's, that's fine. You can do all of these things. These are all ways out of this that still get Bret Hart to win. The issue I had was they come back from commercial and Brett's in the middle of doing all of his setup moves and then he just puts on the sharpshooter like he's working a job guy. These are the way Bret Hart finished off Skinner and Virgil way back in 1992. Yeah. This is Goldust. Yeah. This is Goldust yeah. here in 1996. He just won the Intercontinental title last night. He's undefeated on TV anyway. And Brett just, mm-hmm. and like you said, as soon as he turns the sharpshooter over, the match is over. So just really yeah. odd.
1: I agree with you. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean maybe if Goldust went for, you know, a leg drop or tried to do one of his gimmicks, you know, where he's turning himself on, whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> right, Um and, and Brett catches him, like, you know, he's just got sidetracked with his own gimmick, that's fine, but just he, Goldust looks like a complete bitch here. Um like he's he may be the Intercontinental Champion, but he's nowhere near the level of the WWF champion after this match. And that's not what you want for that IC title. You need that pretty close importance-wise to that WWF title. And when you're jobbing in like three seconds to the sharpshooter, you're nowhere near that level.
0: It's not so much that he lost. It's just how he lost that really pissed me off here booking-wise. As we close out the show, Bret Hart's still in the ring. Vince McMahon joins him for a quick promo. Bret challenges Diesel to a steel cage match at the February in your house after all the interference we've seen lately in the matches Bret Hart's been in. He wants a steel cage match here at in your house. And that's what we wind up getting. Brett promises Undertaker a rematch as well. And I wrote originally that doesn't happen until next WrestleMania for the Undertaker, a rematch for the world title. I mean, not necessarily with Brett. However, I realized by the time we got through the next week's show, <laughs> uh, that Brett will give the Undertaker, uh, another rematch here on TV. So I stand corrected segment of the night, Steve, do I even need to ask? It was, uh, Doc Hendricks raw band or, or Vader.
1: Yeah. That's it. It's Brett and Goldie now. Absolutely, Vader, just killing everybody. The the post-match promo with Cornette where Cornette can't even control him. Uh, Just seeing, you know, Gorilla had the empathy because everyone just grew up listening to him and you felt a connection to him uh, through his commentary. He was always important, whether they ever distinguished why he was important. Back in the day, they never really did, uh, to be honest with you. You just knew when you heard Gorilla Monsoon, for some reason, he just had a level of importance that no other commentator had, to be honest with you, outside of maybe Jesse. So seeing him get beat up and stretchered out was unimaginable at the time. It's just something you was not expecting. And um just very, very good job booking. Just solid. And that wasn't just like a hot, short-term angle. That was long-term booking to get vader over to a level that no other wrestler he took advantage of something no other wrestler got the opportunity to do right and he knocked it out of the park that powerbomb on jack do he just looks like a ragdoll looks like vader picked up a 30 pound wrestling buddy and just destroyed him that's how it looked so dude, that the whole segment's awesome the match the, the post match the stretcher job the interview everything everything vader with this raw
0: yeah, and I should note as much as Vader beat the shit out of the referees and Savio Vega, he did go easy on Gorilla. He did a really good job taking care of Gorilla. I don't know if he was told to do that or he simply knew to do that. He knew better. He he took care of he took care of Gorilla there, which was really cool. Going back and, and watching, I do
1: got to say one of th- I got to say one thing. You mentioned him. Gorilla throws some awesome chops, man. Oh, yeah. You told me before, like when they just stop, like he doesn't go all the way through. They just stop. That's when they hurt a little more. He was laying him in on Vader and uh, Vader, like you said, took care of him. So um, even on the Vader bomb, he kind of just laid his head on him almost like his upper torso, his body, his, his gut was on the mat. It didn't even hit him. So he did an excellent job of protecting Gorilla.
0: And the ratings are in and gaining that usual boost by coming off of the pay-per-view the royal rumble pay-per-view was the WWF's raw show scoring a 2.9 rating to nitro's 2.7 so just squeaks a win here this week the wwf by uh, a 0.2 and i don't have the shares this week for some odd reason even dave Meltzer didn't have the shares for this particular week of raw and nitro but raw does get the win does it get the win with you steve who's the real winner here is it nitro or is it raw
1: it's crazy that I'm going to say this when you have, you know, you have a world title change, you have a tag title change on the same card. However, I got to go with raw. Th- that Vader angle is impactful. Uh, I still remember it as if it just happened. The razor and Hunter match was pretty decent. Brett and Goldust was good for what it was. And I, I just feel like they did an overall better job of developing stories and making things matter. Uh, I was like, Nitro is just the Hogan show all over again. And it's nauseating at this point. It seems like the WWF at this point, they haven't completely turned away long-term booking. They are booking for the long haul, and not just to pop a rating. If it fits into what they're doing on Raw to extend a, a feud or something, they're going to do it. They're not just doing things to to pop a rating like Nitro is, where the Nitro just seems out of control all the time, and Raw just seems more driven from point A to point B, whereas Nitro is just. Hey, man, we're on point A. Let's go to point F at this point. You know, they don't have any clue what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I'm going raw, too. And sometimes, man, it only takes one segment on a show to sell me as far as the the real winner, so to speak. A couple weeks ago, it was the Razor and Goldust brawl that ended the show and went outside in the snow. This time, it's the Vader angle. Literally, I cared for nothing else on the show. Goldust and Brett. it was what it was. It wasn't a very good match wrestling-wise. And Triple H and Hunter... I didn't really tickle my fancy either. Honestly, they kicked off the show with Vader. Had I stopped watching Raw after the storyline with Gorilla Monsoon, the angle with Gorilla, I'd have been happy there. I was already sold at that point. For me, Raw won because to me, right now, WCW, Nitro, has become even more so the Hulk Hogan show over the last two months than it was prior to that. Hogan seems to want to keep himself on TV. He wants to make himself noticeable at all times so that I think he thinks it's going to elevate his his push again or uh, his overness with the fans again, which is definitely not the case. Uh, it's just it feels like the same shit every week on WCW Nitro, and they may throw us a bone here and there with an Eddie match or a Regal match or things like that, but in general, it's just way too much Hogan, and it's like the same shit every week. And <laughs> WWE's trying some new things; they're trying to see what what new they can give us. And this week, man, the Vader and Gorilla Angle alone. Sold it for me. I, I go with Raw as well. And we're going to move on to the next day, January 23rd, Tuesday. Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, Nevada. Clash of the Champions 32. Available now on Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Part of the all-access tier. And the Watch Along series. Uh, Steve, we, we did Clash of the Champions 32 a few days ago. And we put it up on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. You, you can subscribe right now. $5.00. And you can get all of our watch along, all the entire watch along series, Coliseum videos, WCW, WWF pay-per-views, Saturday announcement events, and so much more, including this Clash 32 here, which was not a very good show. But we had a lot of fun with me and you calling the action anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, watching, you know, with somebody or just talking about it makes it way more entertaining than what. It would be if you was just watching it by yourself. Yeah, I
0: couldn't so, have made it through uh, the, the actual show itself without <laughs> without that, because it was a train wreck. Absolutely not. To be, to be polite. And I'm going to run sure. through the results as quickly as I can so we can get into Nitro here. It's Public Enemy taking on the Nasty Boys. It's Public Enemy's... Technically, this was to be their debut, even though they wrestled the American males on Nitro a week or two prior. But here we see a double disqualification, as what's noted as online anyway, In four minutes, I don't know if the match actually gets going. These guys basically just beating the shit out of each other in the ring and out of the ring, and finally a bell sounds, and this thing is over with. Uh, No contest, double DQ, call it what you will. It's four minutes of brawling. It's really there to set up the Super Brawl match, the the return match at Super Brawl, which will be a street fight. Dean Malenko over Alex Wright with a jackknife pin after going after Alex Wright's bad leg. Match went five minutes, 31 seconds. Kevin Sullivan defeated the Disco Inferno by forfeit because Disco no-showed to attend the Rob Parker Sherry wedding. Instead, we get a singing Elvis delivering a telegram to Sullivan, and Sullivan proceeds to beat the shit out of the singing Elvis, who I believe was jobber Mike Winner. Brian Pillman scored the win over Eddie Guerrero with a crossbody collision. Pillman winded up landing on top, getting the win, five minutes, 50 seconds, this is the infamous match where Brian Pillman goes out of the ring and grabs Bobby Heenan from behind by his jacket. Live and unedited on the Clash of the Champions on the WWE Network, Bobby Heenan drops the F-bomb. What does he say, Steve? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Something along those lines. <laughs> Something like that. Right on TBS. And the, w- the new WCW Tag Team Champion, Sting and Luger, over the Blue Bloods. 7 minutes, 46 seconds. The action there was, Bleh. but regal. Five stars on his facials and mannerisms throughout this entire match here. Mexican heavyweight champion Conan gets the win over Psychosis in 5 minutes and 26 seconds. An odd match. They tried a little bit of American work, a little bit of Mexican work. The crowd didn't really know how to take it. They did pop for some of the moves, however, as Lucha Libre begins being infused into the WCW product. We also had the Rob Parker and I'm sorry, Sister Sherry Wedding. Or maybe we don't, Medusa shows up as she appears to be Rob Parker's fried pie on the side. The story here makes no sense because Sherry didn't know about Medusa, which makes sense, but apparently Medusa didn't know about Sherry, which makes no sense whatsoever. As she was camped (laughs) out, literally camped out in a trailer behind where they were getting married and jumps out and attacks Sherry. They brawl in the parking lot to end the segment as Disco Inferno steals all the champagne. Feels like something he would do in real life. Very Disco Inferno-y. Yeah. And we close out the clash. It was Ric Flair and the Giant over Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Nine minutes, 51 seconds. Easily the biggest heat of the night, biggest pops of the night as well here. And we did, as you mentioned, see Kevin Green of the Steelers and Miss Elizabeth in the corner of the formerly named Mega Powers here. And uh, you pointed it out. You corrected me because I I read something. Maybe I I got it wrong, I guess. I thought that it said Savage wanted the finish changed because of uh, whatever, he was doing the job or something. You pointed out I went back and looked myself too because I want to know what the hell I got wrong. It was Ric Flair who was supposed to take the leg drop and do the job here. And this is very important moving forward to this next show, by the way, this next Nitro. He was supposed to do the job to the leg drop at the Clash. And he had had enough and threatened to quit the company. And so Hogan, knowing Flair's value, allowed the finish to be changed. Imagine that Hulk Hogan allowing a finish to be changed with the with Flair and the Giant going over. I think it was Flair that got the pin, if I'm not mistaken, but it wasn't on Hulk Hogan. That's still coming.
1: I can't remember who got the pin. I mean, by the time the show was over, I was tapped out. Yeah, I was done It was too. a very rough clash of the champions. and um I think that's one of them shows you're going to be, it's going to be better just listening to it than you are watching it. Because uh, Heenan, I'm sure, had a blast with the wedding stuff, and um, Tony was calling the action. So it's probably going to be a lot better listening to it than you are watching it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that.
0: We move on to the following Monday WCW Monday Nitro, January 29, 1996. They're in Canton, Ohio. In front of 3,500 fans, Dave Meltzer reports virtually no paper. Sold out several hours in advance. So this may be our first nitro that's sold out. No, no, no paper. No, nobody giving away free tickets here in Canton this week.
1: Ohio loves them some wrestling, huh?
0: I wonder if it's uh, the fallout of uh, Miss Elizabeth's return. Everybody coming to see Liz. I don't know. What do you think? I
1: don't know. According to the Melts it's probably just a one-off. Um, if you've seen her on TV, she ain't gonna look much different in person. So I, I don't know. Who knows what drew them? Like, Nitro's weird in the early stages. You don't necessarily, I mean, you're really getting the same crap over and over and over again, so I don't know what's really drawing anything uh, at all. I don't even know why people are tuning in to Nitro, to be honest with you.
0: And on this night of Nitro, Conan beats the one-man gang. So Conan's been in the company, I mean, on TV in the company for a week, and has had one match so far on TV, and he's already beat the gang for the U.S. title. That's how important the U.S. title was, at least with the gang holding it, as he was a placeholder, basically, to get the belt off Kensuke Sasaki. And the match is slated to air at this point, February 4th, on the main event. So that's how important the belt is, as all the belts seem to be de-emphasized uh, now all of a sudden with Eric Bischoff here uh, in this Nitro era, as even the U.S. title is being changed on the main event of all shows. And the finish apparently was the old WrestleMania, the best way I can describe it for everybody that might know it, WrestleMania 8 finished there. Conan hold the Shawn Michaels-Tito match where Shawn held the rope until Tito lost balance. Shawn lands on top, gets the win. That's basically the story here. That's how Conan beats the gang. At least that's according to Meltzer. I haven't seen the match in so long. I can't say. As Nitro kicks off following that dark match, I have no idea what Pepe was wearing here. I think it's a Dracula cape. Kind of looked very reminiscent of King Kong Bundy in his WWF TV debut.
1: I have no idea, man. I'm not paying attention to Pepe.
0: I, I just do it for the fun of it, Steve. It's something to do.
1: I guess. <laughs> it's better than listening to Mongo, right?
0: Mongo should put all those up on eBay. You get some money for those now. Everybody's oh. dressing their dogs up in 2021. Mm hmm. Mongo was ahead of, of the game. I'm sure. Yeah. Unless Deborah took them all. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> they, they might fit her boobs. One of them,
1: half of one. <laughs>
0: We go to the ring and we kick off the show with Hulk Hogan with Miss Elizabeth in his corner, taking on Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart in his. So we kick Nitro off with Hogan versus Flair and Hogan down with woman, with Linda, with Linda's sister. And Miss Elizabeth makes her Nitro debut now. And the match is back and forth early on in and out of the ring three times during this match, by the way. And we go through a commercial break. Jimmy Hart tries to interfere, but gets kicked into the guardrail by Hulk Hogan. You don't see Jimmy Hart take bumps often, but he'd take one for the Hulkster brother. Ric Flair actually gets heat on Hogan. Again, this must play into the whole thing of Ric Flair threatening to quit last week, because not only does his team win at the Clash, but he gets heat on Hogan. Maybe the first guy to actually get legit several minutes of heat on Hulk Hogan even locks in his figure four leg lock. But Hulk Hogan manages to hulk up. We get the big leg drop, brother. But Jimmy Hart up on the apron, distracting Nick Patrick. So once again, Nick Patrick having a rough week already. Is Nick the only referee here for screw jobs? I'm wondering? Arne Anderson runs into the ring. Jimmy Hart holds Elizabeth. While Arne steals her high heel shoe and gives it to the nature boy in the ring, Ric Flair drives the shoe into Hogan's eye and gets the pin. In 13 minutes, so Hogan drops a leg. There's a distraction causing the pinfall to be delayed. By the time Hogan covers, he gets a two count. Flair has the shoe, stabs it, supposedly, in Hulk Hogan's eye. We see Hulk Hogan gig, blades over top of his eyeball, and Ric Flair, for the very first time, pins Hulk Hogan. So you tell me Ric Flair threatening to quit didn't have a little clout here. He gets the win at the Clash, he gets heat on Hogan, and he pins Hulk Hogan all within a week of threatening to quit the company. I don't know that Bischoff gave a shit, but clearly Hulk Hogan did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like your line here, to played to politics, brother. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we can trash Hogan all we want. You know, he did play games and politics, and he was able to book the way he wanted to for himself. But at the end of the day, all he cared about was making money, and he, he knew those guys that could help him do it. Uh, he's not going to get rid of those types that can help him draw money. And obviously, Ric Flair is one of the greatest of all time. He knows how to talk people into seats. And uh, you need somebody like Ric Flair around. So he wasn't stupid. He knew what he needed to do. He gave Flair a bone. It appeased him, obviously, because we don't. Flair obviously never leaves. So, yeah, H- Hogan was smart in that sense. My problem is, is that this match just has no appeal anymore. I, it, it, I don't know if it's because of, it's obviously because of Nitro. But it, the way Flair has been treated by Hogan for the entire time he's been in WCW, it, it almost seems like as soon as Hogan walked through the door, Flair's just become a joke when it comes to fighting Hogan. So he the, way, the way Hogan never sells for him, uh, no matter what Flair does. I know it's different in this match, and it's kind of a one-off. and So this little rant kind of seems to be out of place a little bit just because of what Hogan ended up doing. But at the same time... You know, it's not going to be the consistent going forward. This is not going to be the new normal, at all. Like I just can't take Ric Flair seriously at all uh, during this this during this time frame. He's not believable, and um, it's crazy to think that (laughs) when you you know we're watching him in the grenade uh, in 1989, kind of at the peak. I don't know if it was the peak. His peak lasted forever, but he was still at the top of his game and one of the greatest. Obviously, one of the best at that time, and um, you felt like it's a complete different dynamic. You know, Flair's in the ring with anybody. You don't think he's going to lose in 1989. In 1996, it's either, okay, Flair's going to get his ass kicked, or how's he going to cheat to win? And that really seems to be the only way for him to get anything, and um, that all goes back on Hogan.
0: Yeah, and I and I I did write a, a couple sentences here, and a little bit of it's redundant. I, I did say some of it already, but I want to read this because – I have uh, one quick other thing I want to say about that. And I wrote, Flair works Hogan over for, works Hogan over for a solid portion of this match. He won the match at the Clash after supposed to, originally supposed to lose to the leg drop. Now he does something he's never been allowed to do, which is pin Hulk Hogan. All of this after Flair threatened to quit the company due to the booking. And I wrote, you're right, I wrote, two can play politics, brother. And it's about time someone stood up for themselves. And that's how I looked at this, because I'm not a big fan of politics. I'm not a big fan of the clique and guys refusing to do jobs just because they, they, they refuse to do jobs. In this instance, I didn't look at it like that at all. I looked at it as like, finally, someone, is, someone with enough clout value-wise with the company has stood up for themselves. Rather than playing politics to keep them their spot on top, Flair is playing politics because he's just sick of Hogan shit. And uh, I'm yeah. I'm glad that somebody finally did that here. Somebody made Hogan take notice that it took Ric Flair, but it was going to take somebody the, the, the value of Ric Flair to make Hogan, I don't know, I don't even want to say realize, but make Hogan, um, I'll use the word realize, that this is yeah. getting out of control. And
1: I I'm agree. not saying he realizes no. that,
0: but he realizes that it's pissing somebody off.
1: Yeah, and I think we've been talking about it each week, how he's in panic mode and he's trying all these things. To get himself back over with the crowd. And this is I think this is Flair's way of saying, look, dude, it's not working what you're trying to do. It, it is not working. You need to cool it. Or you're just gonna piss everybody off. And we've been talking about it from the beginning, how everybody's protecting Hogan. They don't want to even throw shots at him in the ring. It just looks like cartoony and fake. So you almost feel like nobody's gonna have the balls to go up and say something to him unless it's a Ric Flair. Like I don't even see Sting confronting him. Obviously, Sting's down the ring with him every week, but I don't even see Sting like being one of those guys that go up to him and say, "Look, you need to cut it out." Uh, I don't see it happening. Savage no. is okay with it because hell, he's had two title runs in a month. I mean, he's cool with it. I just don't know of anybody else that's on that level. Like he's not going to listen to Arn Anderson, and that's no knock on Arn Anderson. It's just the reality of the situation. Right. Uh, you got it. Has to be a Sting, a Savage, or a Flair. And that's really it. Nobody else has the clout or the ability to say anything to him to make it impactful. And so kudos to Ric Flair for realizing the issues at hand and doing something to address it, at least for a couple weeks. So, uh, again, good job to him. It's about damn time, like you said.
0: This week on Saturday night, we're going to see Sting in action as well as the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and get a load of these two matches. Ric Flair taking on Dean Malenko. And Eddie Guerrero goes up against Lex Luger, which should also be very intriguing. It makes me want to pull out this copy of that. Saturday Night. I want to see both of these matches. Very curious.
1: I want to I see if Lex is going to put his working boots on. I <laughs> <laughs> doubt it. Eddie Guerrero they might, they might go good. old
0: school Tommy Rich here. Lex is probably going to tell Eddie, I learned this from, we're going to do a match I learned from Tommy Rich way back in 1989. It's called Armbar. <laughs> And then I'm going to
1: climb up on the top rope and do an arm drag on you. How about that, Lex? Mm. Uh, Not today. Not not on a take. Not happening. Not in center stage, buddy. This ain't 1989.
0: The show rolls on, and it's the in ring return of the Road Warriors Hawk and Animal, their very first match together since SummerSlam 92. Three and a half years ago, the return of the Road Warriors as they take on a brand new team as well. Well, sort of brand new anyway. It's Ming teaming with the Barbarian. And they had, a, they had a very brief cup of coffee as a team way back in 1991, right around that WrestleMania 7 time period. Here, they're now called the Faces of Fear. And how many times are they going to recycle the name Faces of Fear here? And W said, Kevin Sullivan must have really liked this name. He used it with the Three Faces of Fear. Now Barbarian Haku are the Faces of Fear. It's not like it's been all those years ago that they used that name. And we're already already using it again here. And I say that it's a new team. It is a new team. They're not necessarily new to the company. Ming's been here for a while. Barbarian's been here for a few months. Under a hood, teaming with his old pal, the Warlord, as the Super Assassins. It is our first look at the Barbarian as the Barbarian here. And so I wrote, wow, man, sacrificing a brand new team to put over another debuting team here. It's kind of an odd choice, but they really don't have a lot of teams to choose from.
1: Even the American males. It would have been all
0: right. I wouldn't mind it, and the Road Warriors get a pretty solid pop. as the, I wouldn't call it a Road Warrior pop, but they do get a really nice pop and a LOD chant as they enter the ring. Bobby Heenan goes between calling him the Legion of Doom and the Road Warriors repeatedly throughout the show, but that's okay because they'd always been the Legion of Doom and the Road Warriors, so it wasn't Vince that created the whole Legion of Doom bit. It was Paul Ellering many, many yeah. years prior, so in case anybody's wondering why they're getting away with it, that's why. Not exactly 1989 Road Warriors versus SST type stuff here, uh, but this had its moments, I thought. And four legit badasses is is always fun, no matter what. Curious, why not someone smaller, I thought, though. Like you said, the American males, even though they're baby faces, I was really surprised. Why not job guys from the Saturday Night Show uh, to really get over the Road Warriors? What's that
1: Canyon team? What's Canyon's team? The Minute Work team. Yeah, get them out there.
0: So I wrote that. I, I thought here, that's kind of odd that they chose Barbarian and Haku or Ming, whatever you want to call him here, instead of smaller guys to really get the road warriors over, instead of a couple of 300-pounders, much like the roadies. <laughs> it doesn't make him look as badass here. Hawk rocking no. tights all the way up to his tits and no cells. <laughs> the pile driver on Ming, I had to pop for that. That story goes all the way back to Memphis when Hawk no-sold Jerry Lawler's pile driver. Stood straight up. Lawler is the one that gave him the idea, and it's stuck with him ever since. Hawk continued to use that spot and it got a big pop from the fans here as he takes the pile driver from yeah. Ming and jumps straight up before Ming can even get to his feet. Awesome crowd pop. Barbarian comes in. Could you believe the Barbarian powerbombed animal? And it wasn't even an awkward <laughs> power bomb? I mean, it was legit badass. I'm going to kill you, power bomb! I wrote, holy shit. Never seen that before. I bet animals never felt that before. As the match winds down, after screwing the spot up, they do it again. Barbarian goes back up to the middle rope for a second time. So that Animal can clothesline him on the way down. We get the hot tag to Hawk. They try the Doomsday Device on the Barbarian. The crowd goes nuts as they set up for it. They know it's coming, so they remember. The people remember the Road Warriors and their finisher. But Ming pushes Hawk off the top rope. So Barbarian instead pile drives Animal. Tries it a second time, but Hawk goes to the top rope and clotheslines Barbarian. And the Road Warriors get the win nine minutes and five seconds. I thought there were a lot of sloppy spots in here, and Hawk looked a little mm-hmm. lethargic, to be honest with you. Selling, and he was out of position at least twice. But overall, yeah. it was it was a fun little match. If you just like, if you're a fan of these guys, you can get through some of this.
1: Yeah, you made that ending sound a lot better than it was. There's a pretty long delay uh, for, for yeah. Hawk to get up to the top to do the clothesline. You made it sound like it was fluid, which it definitely wasn't. It was very sloppy, missed his spots. Hawk looked a little rough, like you said. A couple of things I want to point out, though. Um, the, the commentary is just brutal at this point, outside of Heenan. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he said uh, Flair has become one of the elites in the business by beating Hogan, even though he's like world champion a week ago.
0: Well, yeah. So, uh, like- from the very moment he pinned him, Eric Bischoff sold it like the improbable just happened. Like Rick Flair just upped his game like he wasn't the level of a main eventer until he did that like it was the hugest most unfathomable thing like Barry Horowitz just pinned Hulk Hogan basically
1: right yeah it was. it's ridiculous like they just Bischoff just completely forget that he is world champion a week ago <laughs> and what's funny is too Heenan says that the road warriors are two of the toughest guys out of Chicago two minutes after Mongo tells us that <laughs> remember seeing them come up in Minnesota
0: Uh, I think Mongo, uh, you know, I I heard uh, actually somehow I ended up watching this show twice. I think one night I watched it while I was going to bed and then I actually watched it to take notes again. The first time I felt the same way as you did the second time. I think what Mongo was referencing was he saw them in the AWA, not that they were from, even though they are from Minnesota. I don't think Mongo meant it that way. I think he meant he saw them in the AWA, whereas Chicago, uh, Bobby's selling the fact that they're born in Chicago. Kayfabe, born in chicago yeah i don't think mongo is actually yeah, mentioning actually. where they're from he just happened to see them wrestle in the area yeah. that they were AW. from
1: which is, which is cool it just kind of goes to show that mongo has i don't know if he did some studying or what or if he actually did watch the awa because i know everybody knows who the road warriors are it doesn't even matter like so that makes sense and then bischoff called gold a rupaul wannabe which was kind of funny but yeah the commentary is a little rough this match was sloppy I'm with you, man. They need these smaller guys in there to make the the Road Warriors look uh, like the Road Warriors. I have the comment for a later episode of of the Monday Warfare show, but I can just go ahead and use it now. For whatever reason, man, after SummerSlam 92, I never enjoyed the Road Warriors uh, again after that last WWF run. They're nothing to write home about in WWF. They were kind of just there. Um, We've talked about that before. Uh, not on a show but just in private uh how they had to save him for a pay-per-view and by the time it got to him they're almost on their way out It's felt like so i don't know what it is they just don't look the same here animal much much slower
0: hawk is is like an animal's trying his ass off i think but he's also just yeah it's uh, you know father time i think with with animal he's not he's not terrible here but hawk his timing is off he's and like you said, he's not where he's supposed to be several times during the match. The very first time he gets put in the corner after he gets tagged in, uh, I don't know if it's Barbarian or Ming, and they're laying in shots in the corner. Hawk just kind of bends over and doesn't even move while they're hitting him. Doesn't sell, doesn't move around. Just, it, it just looked like somebody that was just not even there. And it was bad. And you're right, yeah. the, the finish wasn't as fluid as I made it sound because I even thought to myself, Barbarian hits the pile driver. Then he hits a, goes for a second one, and then Hawk comes off the clothesline. And I thought to myself right then, was Hawk supposed to come off on the first one? And they had to ad-lib the pile driver because Hawk was completely on the opposite side of the, the ring, on a completely different ring post than where they're wrestling at. So, yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't pretty by any means. But we'll see what happens moving forward.
1: Just makes you wonder. If there's a reason he was lethargic.
0: Yeah, well, I, I wasn't going to get into it because I, I can't say for sure right now, but it certainly appeared that way. Uh, that was my initial impression when I watched them sell, for lack of a better term, early in the match.
1: I was just going to say, did you hear the story that Hart said? I have no idea. Recently about him. Uh, I don't know if it's recent or what. I think in one of his podcasts, he was talking about how they had a match. Like I guess him and the Hearts and the LOD both wanted to really have a match in that in that oh, first run yeah, yeah. that they were right. there and, then, yeah. and how Hawk just popped a bunch of pills right before they went out and Bret's like, what the hell are you doing? And it caused the match to be not as good and then Hawk came back in 97 at the Canadian Stampede, I believe and he's like, this is for the match from 90 or 91, whatever it was and um, they went out and had a classic so uh, Hawk didn't forget, it's just his demons, you know, and I'm not saying that's what's going on here at all. I don't know what is that. What was Hawk doing in between like '92? I know, obviously, Japan. Animals over in Japan. He Hawk made was there well. Too. Hawk
0: made stops in Smoky Mountain. He made stops in ECW. He was in Japan quite a bit. Did the Hellraisers gimmick with Kensuke Sasaki. So Hawk was around. Hawk even come. You know, he came back and don't forget, Hawk's been here. Animals once come back. Hawk's been here off and on in WCW. Right. So he yeah, did the he Kurosawa was there, think, bit that last that
1: year. With the uh the Camaro, yes, the, the Camaro, the Z21
0: Camaro, yes, right, way back um, when. Okay, so Hawk's been in and out.
1: Yeah, so Hawk's been the one working. Yeah, it's animal <laughs> collecting animal's the Lloyds of London.
0: Yeah, animal's been collecting yeah, good, the Lloyds of him. London. Good for him. One of the many guys who uh, made it impossible for wrestlers to ever sign up for Lloyds of London again. Kudos to Kurt <laughs> Hennig, Rick Rude, Road Warrior Animal, and whoever got away with that.
1: Ted DiBiase.
0: Promo time. Did Me Ted, and Gene Ogre. What's that? Ted DiBiase? I didn't know that.
1: Did Ted have one? I, I have Ted no idea. Did. I thought you mentioned Ted. I'm not sure. I know he had the back injury.
0: Right. I don't know. Promo time Dude, with Gene Ogre. He's got Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris in the ring. Kevin says he made a pact with the Horseman. He thought Arn Anderson was a man of his word, but Brian Pillman is still out of control. This brings Arn and Pillman to ringside. Arn asks Pillman where he was during the previous Hogan and Flair match. Arne chalks it up to immaturity on Brian Pillman's part. Anderson says he warned Pillman verbally. He even slapped the shit out of Pillman. No kidding. Uh, but nothing has worked. So if Pillman's going to act like a child, it's time for some tough love. And I thought this was a little, little ridiculous, maybe. But it was Arne, so I, I bought it a little bit. Arne starts taking off his belt. He's going to whip Brian Pillman here in the middle of the ring. And Brian Pillman sells it like, you, you know, Arne's got a gun to barn Brian Pillman drops down to his knees, begs off, pleads, Arn, don't don't whip me. (laughs) Don't don't whip me. And at at this point, Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris attack both men. And I wrote, why? Kevin was about to get his wish. Arn Anderson was about to lay into Brian Pillman, but the dungeon attack Arn and Pillman instead. Pillman winds up getting knocked to the floor, and instead of saving Arn Anderson from a two-on-one beatdown, Pillman peeks over the apron and watches Arn get beat up so interesting there to see Brian Pillman do that. He's afraid to get back in the ring, and Kevin Sullivan finally sees Brian Pillman hiding in the outside. Pillman, or excuse me, Sullivan takes Arn Anderson's belt and begins laying into the back of Brian Pillman, really lashing him. Stiff, hard shots to the back of Brian Pillman on the outside. Meanwhile, in the ring, Arn Anderson recovers. DDT on Hugh Morris, and back in the ring, the dungeon Dungeoner off as Arn Anderson gets on the microphone. He informs Kevin that the horsemen, police themselves, and now Arn demands a tag team match: Arn and Pillman versus Sullivan and Hugh Morris. Brian Pillman says he got them into this mess and he'll get them out. And Brian Pillman shows off all of the welts on his back from the belt.
1: Yeah, this this shit made no sense, man. So Sullivan wants Arn to take care of Pillman. He's about to take care of Pillman, and then Sullivan and Hugh Morris attack him. Like it makes absolutely no sense at all. Well, what what are they doing? He's doing what you want him to do, and then he's going to do all your dirty work. If you want Pillman beat up, let Arm beat the shit out of him with the belt for however long he beats him with the belt. Uh, give him that tough love, but you stop all that from happening just to get a few lashes in, and then Hugh Morris to get his you know, his ass kicked. So it, this made no sense to me. I don't know what they're going for here or what they're doing. Uh, I know it all comes to a head in a, a Super Brawl that we've already you know, kind of watched on Patreon. You can listen to that, but it just doesn't make any any sense at all what this segment was supposed to establish. I, I, I'm lost. I'm lost with this one.
0: Yeah, and I, like you pointed out, we know where this is going, and it makes a little bit of sense. The belt, I mean, makes a little bit of sense here. Yeah. With with the with the whipping of Brian Pillman. However, at the same time, the way they built this up, it just made no sense, <laughs> again, like you pointed out. And it makes even less sense since everybody becomes friends eventually uh, before too long. <laughs> We move on with Nitro. Mean Gene Okerlund in the ring with Sister Sherry. Looks like it's supposed to be a promo. Gene wants to talk to her about what happened at the Clash of the Champions. She's actually in a short dress, high heels. She's not dressed to wrestle. But Medusa attacks anyway from the top rope. And it's a match, I guess. The bell rings. We have a match, even though Sherry's not dressed for it. A wild fight as they spill out to the ring pretty quickly. A suplex on the floor. Sherry walks across Medusa's chest in the ring. I felt like there was a little bit of a shoot there. I forgot how much I hated the back leg round kick until Eric Bischoff busted out, not once, not twice, but three times in this 90-second match. And all it is is a a fucking kick. Nothing special at all. It's like a front kick. Yeah, it's It's like a front kick, and he's calling it that. It's like if you kicked a fucking footballer. I I have no idea. Uh, Sherry winds up going to the top rope, but Medusa comes over. She tries to slam Sherry off, but Sherry turns it into an inside cradle and gets the win in one minute and 47 seconds. But Sherry has little time to celebrate. As post-match, Medusa attacks Sherry from behind right after the win and kills her. Dumps her right on the top of her head with an unplanned German suplex. knocks Sherry silly, says Demeltz, and Sherry was extremely unhappy with this this was not planned i believe the attack was planned there was no discussion of the german being done sherry wasn't ready for it and i guess medusa got the okay backstage and sherry was never informed by medusa or anyone else so uh just uh then medusa looks like she gets a little violent grabs sherry by her hair repeatedly rams the back of her head into the mat bischoff says medusa should have stayed with the wwf because she could have taken out 90 percent of the men mongo says she's more of a man than goldfarb whatever the hell he says there medusa finally debuts in the ring and this is the story they give her but not for long this also marks the end of sherry martell in wcw
1: this is it for her in general right outside of probably some independence yeah no more mainstream
0: mainstream sherry i mean you know she popped up there with uh kurt angle Angle, (laughs) yeah. yeah that was
1: great that was great um yeah it's unfortunate It's another one of those talents that couldn't get out of her own way. I think we mentioned it on our clash, how she showed up and (laughs) she looked a little rough. Um, Didn't get her hair done and things like that. So uh, the problem is when you got a guy who doesn't really appreciate, I wouldn't necessarily say the history. It just doesn't have any connection to you. You're going to have issues. I know Missy had issues with Bischoff, uh, Sherry. Obviously, people like Ric Flair, those type of people. When the boss doesn't care about you, you, you got to tread lightly, or you're going to be let go. And uh, that's kind of what it feels like here. Yeah, I that think German I, was brutal, man. Yeah, dumped her right on
0: right on her head. And I think I even read, and I'm not sure if it was the Observer or the Torch or what it was, that Sherry already knew that she, you know, she was in deep. She was in the doghouse, and I guess that's why she didn't complain about some of the other things recently. I don't even know that she complained about this German, but uh, she winds up getting canned anyway because of her issues, which is unfortunate because even though Sherry had peaked, I'd say at this point in her career, uh, she was still a very valuable piece to have at ringside, I, I think. I think so, too. We continue on with the main event. It's WCW champion Macho Man Randy Savage taking on the Giant. And as the match gets going, we see woman... Linda McMahon, her sister, one more, every time Macho Man comes out, there's one less lady, Linda two Mc less Man. ladies, uh, Lin, I'm sorry, Linda Hogan, <laughs> I apologize, Linda Balea, if you will, uh, and her sister, they, they come out during, of the entrance, but there's no Macho Man, where is the Macho Man? I also wanted to note that I think last night show, there were six women, then there were down to four on Clash, now we're down to three, uh, of course, Liz isn't out here at this point, But Macho Man is not coming down the aisle. Where is the Macho Man? Well, he's not beat up backstage. He's coming out, I'm assuming, from the crowd. From the opposite side, he attacks the Giant from behind. With the WCW title. An immediate disqualification. Eric Bischoff announces that he thinks they threw the match out. Well, duh, Eric. Macho Man's hitting the Giant repeatedly with the fucking title belt. And I thought this was a really cheap way for a top babyface to get out of fighting a guy. In a championship match. I didn't think it looked good for the Macho Man. And Rick Flair comes to the ringside. He attacks Randy Savage. Pulls him out to the floor, hits him with the chair. Flair pops the referee. So this whole probation suspension shit, it's already out the window. Giant and Flair do a beatdown on Macho Man in the ring. Choke slam on Randy Savage. The Giant tries a second one, but Hulk Hogan finally with a bandaged up eye from that stiletto heel and the eyeball earlier in the show. Hogan out with a chair and he nails Giant with some serious Chair shots to the skull. Knocks the giant from the ring as Hugh Morris and Ming and the one-man gang. Kevin Sullivan, all of them, take chair shots. And I laugh at the gang as he takes a chair shot and runs about six feet and does a flying leap over the top rope to sell for the Hulkster (laughs) brother because the gang knows what's good for him. And it's the Zodiac who never enters the ring, mind you. Zodiac never enters the ring, takes a chair shot. It's him and Kevin Sullivan holding the giant back. And no chair shot from Zodiac. Uh, very wise as they continue to play that storyline up subtly on the underneath. Meanwhile, Savage gets disqualified before the match can even start. What did you think here? I didn't think that looked good for a baby face. Not, a, not well booked for my end anyway.
1: No, I agree with you. It's probably Hogan's revenge for Savage giving him this shit last week after he won the belt. Yeah, he's like, you take that, brother. I got you. <laughs> um, no, that it's just the same old shit, different show, man. Um, dungeon of doom come out to attack 10 deep. And then Hogan and Savage fend them off with chair shots. I, I did put down here. Um, you know, he comes out, you know, he's, he has the eye bandaged up blood all over his forehead. He's clearing house with the chair has all the women. Uh, he's really trying. He's pulling no punches to get himself over. Uh, and this crowd kind of popped for him a little bit more than what we've been hearing. So uh, I guess, I mean, I guess it's working. I, I don't, I doubt it, but um, I like the ending after all the shenanigans when they get to the announce table, which I don't think you've talked about that yet. But the match itself, it was very cheap for a top baby face. Like you said, to do that. Why are you afraid of the giant? I mean, what's the deal there?
0: Yeah. It's uh it didn't make a lot of sense to me for a baby face. It seems like something a heel would do, but not a baby face yeah. there. It's almost like Macho Man was afraid to wrestle the Giants, so he just beat the It wasn't even like they were feuding. The giant didn't, like, you know, <laughs> he never did anything. It's just a match that we Macho. haven't
1: seen yet, yeah. so they just gave well, it. Well, we, we so did get all... the match.
0: We've seen the match, but it's been several weeks.
1: Well, yeah, so like Bischoff, he probably forgot, and like <laughs> everybody else, because they don't matter.
0: Book it again. Yeah. Well, we don't really get a match this time, so it's really not a match. And uh, as you pointed out, after after Hogan runs everyone off of those chair shots. It's Jimmy Hart, the Giant, and Ric Flair invading the announce area. Mongo looks down at the table, shaking his head, hiding his face. I'm assuming he's smiling. That's the only thing I could come up with here, as the heels are going nuts on commentary. They steal the microphones, the headsets. Eric Bischoff leaves. Mongo eventually leaves. They're selling the Super Brawl double cage matches. It's Savage defending the title against Ric Flair in the cage, and then the Giant taking on Hogan in an uncensored type cage match. Eric Bischoff, Mongo, they take off. Heenan, meanwhile, tries to calm Ric Flair down. Flair isn't buying into it. He's not even selling Rick Heenan, Bobby Heenan's existence at this point. This was classic, out of control, uh, mid 90s Flair here. I thought it was great shit, probably the best shit Ric Flair's done in forever, as I just loved it when he got this serious, and the, you can see the. Arteries and yeah, the vein, the vein in his head bulging and the red face. And he's hot, man. Ric Flair is pissed off as we get a shot of the referee and Hulk Hogan, the bandaged up Hulk Hogan, helping a slumping macho man down the aisle back to the dressing room. So the heels got the best. Even though Hogan cleared the ring, the heels seem to get the better of the baby faces tonight. I don't know how that is, but that's how it is. Uh, Segment of the night, Steve. Flair versus Hogan. Flair finally getting a win. That roadies return. Uh, whatever the main event was, whatever you want to call what we just saw, what, what's, your, what's your segment of the night?
1: <laughs> uh, it's getting harder and harder to pick a favorite segment on these nitros just because it's just overrun with Hogan shit. But if I had to pick something, I'm going with that, that Flair stuff at the end. Uh, I, I thought it was great, you know, him getting over the pay-per-view. Uh, they actually did a good job of building towards that with these two. this last segment. Savage getting destroyed. Obviously, the only problem I have with it is it shouldn't have have taken to the last minute of the show for them to tell us who was inside the cage matches. Because they kept on saying there's a double cage, a Super Brawl most of the show. And then finally, when Ric Flair takes over the commentary table, he's like, Savage, I got you in the cage and Giant's going to take care of you, Hogan. That should be given at the very beginning. And you build towards that. Don't wait till the last minute. Because the last minute of the show is you're either going to be on Nitro already or you're going to be on Raw already. I don't think you're going to flip at the last minute because you want to see how the show closes. And so whatever show you're on is probably what you're going to watch. So if people miss that last minute of Nitro, I don't know if they did an overrun here or not. But if you miss that last minute of Nitro, you're going to miss the the two big matches being announced. So very stupid uh, way to do things but I'm going with Flair. And that vein, my dad has that vein. So when that vein's popping out, you know to stay clear because it's a bad time. So um, I know all about that. And so seeing Ric Flair get it, you know, he's uh, in rare form and uh, very entertaining.
0: Yeah, I wrote down here, I wonder if I can pick Ric Flair having an aneurysm as my segment of the night, but it's such a short piece of the show. I actually went with Flair and Hogan not because it was a good match, but because I got to see Ric Flair pin Hulk Hogan's That was what was most important to me on the show. And again, I'm just picking because of Ric Flair pinning Hulk Hogan. There was really nothing noteworthy on the entire show, honestly, from top to bottom, outside of the fact that Flair finally got a win over the Hulkster and played a little politics himself. So it was what it was. As we move on to Monday Night Raw for January 29th, and this was taped last week in Stockton, California, at the Civic Auditorium. It's Super Monday because it follows Super Bowl Sunday. I suppose. Diesel in the ring with the British Bulldog. Feels like Bulldog has really fallen down the card already. Can't be worse than in your house, Diesel versus Bulldog, I wrote. Could it? Diesel dominates to begin (laughs) until Bulldog goes to his legs, and I wrote, oh, I thought, oh, no. Here we go again. Ramming Diesel's leg against the ring post, and it's more the same old boring shit from that October in your house once again. Lots of leg work by Davy Boy, and by leg work, I don't mean the good stuff. Lots of laying down leg locks and a lot of stomping by the Bulldog. Yokozuna makes his way to ringside. Of course, another member of Camp Cornet is Yoko. Exposed turnbuckle in the corner for Davey Boy to use, but it's Diesel who lands snake eyes on Davey into the exposed steel. Diesel makes the cover, but Jim Cornette distracts the referee, allowing Yoko to get in the ring and go for a leg drop, but Diesel moves. And Yoko winds up leg dropping the Bulldog instead. Diesel covers and gets the win. In about seven minutes. What's your thoughts?
1: It was all right. I mean, nothing special. Um, they're starting that turn on Yokozuna that culminates, I think, next week's Monday Warfare show, if I remember right. Yeah, it was okay. It, it didn't go long enough for it to stink up the house uh, like the In Your House show. So uh, the fact that it only went seven minutes was a good thing.
0: Show continues. Last,
1: to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a commercial break. I was being generous. I think I added a minute there because it oh, was that's taped. Good. That's good. So Doc Hendricks' shitty band is back again this, this week, but Doc is somehow also in the Slam Jam room as Vince pretends like Doc is jumping from one place to the other here because Slam Jam's just hanging out backstage. I guess it's on wheels. Doc announces the cage match is official for In Your House. It's Brett versus Diesel inside the cage. We get a promo from the hitman who put, points out that he's never lost a cage match. Calls Diesel a big dummy. Reminded me of uh, Fred Sanford. In my youth on uh, watching Sam Son, you big dummy. Only, I think, I think Red Fox said it a little better here. Brett saying it sounded a little corny. He called Diesel, you big dummy, you lousy hyena. And Brett Hart points out he's never lost a cage match, Steve. That feels like something Brett would point out here in 2021. Because sometimes I wonder if Brett really knows the difference between a work and a shoot. I just feel like that's something Brett's just walking around. You know, I never lost a cage match. <laughs>
1: He probably did too. One of those six man tag cage matches that they used to have on the house shows, uh, right. I'm sure he was involved in a couple of those against with Macho and Tito, right? And I think sure. he's in those. So unless they won those, um,
0: I I don't remember. I couldn't tell you.
1: I you know what though? Like I don't doubt anything Bret Hart says, as far as his career goes, because I love it when people say they're like the biggest Bret Hart fan, and I'm a, I'm a big fan. I love Bret Hart. I grew up with him. But there's no bigger fan of Bret Hart than Bret Hart. So That's right. um, I'm sorry, guys. The game's already over. Bret Hart is the biggest fan of Bret Hart. So um, I'm sure he has a list of every single one of his matches that he's ever been a part of. And he knows for a fact if he's lost or won a cage match. Um, I wouldn't put it past him if it's true.
0: We also learned that Shawn Michaels did accept the challenge last week. Shawn Michaels will put his WrestleMania title shot up against Owen Hart at the In Your House pay-per-view, and Razor Ramon will wrestle the One Two Three kid at In Your House in a crybaby match, where the loser will have to be hand-fed a bottle. That should be fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see clips from WWF superstars. Triple H looking for revenge from the Royal Rumble match, or excuse me, the free-for-all from the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, attacks Duke Drossi on superstars, knocks him out, and cuts his hair. And I remember <laughs> when we were watching that show, I said something about a, a mini feud and, and them wrestling again. You said you didn't remember any of that. So was this new to you, Triple H cutting Duke Drossi's hair off? Uh,
1: it's one of those things that I, I, I knew happened. I just forgot about it. it just out of, out of sight, out of mind type deal. As um, soon as I saw the clip, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that did happen. No, nah, it wasn't new to me at all. It's just one of those things you forget. It doesn't have the impact of Vader and Garou.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> you forget for good reason. For for very yeah, good absolutely. reason. Doc Hendricks even references Eric Bischoff, but doesn't call him by name. Calls him a TBS official. Uh, he said that the uh, TBS official called the Titan Towers, which we I, I actually mentioned in the last episode of Monday Warfare, and thanked them for the Billionaire Ted sketches, giving them credit for giving Nitro the higher ratings. And just a week later, now they're threatening to sue for the very same segments. Doc says, you asked for it, uh, so you got it. And it's the latest on Billionaire Ted, and I had to wonder if they really had these press conferences initially planned or if this was done specifically because of Eric Bischoff's smarmy phone call as we get the Billionaire Ted press conference for the big match coming up at at WrestleMania between the Huckster and the Nacho Man. Billionaire Ted said he is not a hillbilly with cheap suits. He's not trying to put the WWF out of business. Nitro was done to hurt the WWF. says all of the people asking the questions, all of the press, believe that Ted Turner could have avoided having Nitro go head-to-head with Raw because Turner owns the channels that Nitro and and the Saturday Night Show even, they air on. Uh, But Turner won't have it. He doesn't care. Uh, they try to sell the fact that Turner doesn't care about the fans, which you don't think Vince really cares deeply about the fans. But here Turner's made to be the bad guy, not Eric Bischoff. It's Ted Turner they're feuding with that he could have put Nitro on a different time, a different day, so the fans could enjoy both shows. But instead, he put it up against Raw to make them fight against one another. Ted Turner doesn't care about the fans. And then we talk about who will win the Nacho Man and Huckster match at WrestleMania. It's in Huckster's contract that he never loses brother. And then I thought this was kind of funny. They, they mock fight. Savage and Hogan kind of get into it. The fake Savage and Hogan get into it. He even ripped Hogan. The Huckster rips his shirt off. The, the, the main line here is, what wouldn't Ted Turner do to put the WWF out of business? I thought it was funny. They took the jab about Hulk Hogan's contract and he's not allowed to lose. It also gives away the fact that wrestling's fake, but it's, for comedic purposes, not one of the worst sketches but they moved away from the war room, for so they've kind of lost their edge with me. But it's it was there. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah, it wasn't,
1: it wasn't terrible. I, I like the way Doc uh, presented it. Uh, it's almost as if I, it does make you wonder if the war room was supposed to be it, and then Bischoff got a little cocky and sent that did that phone call. They even showed the paper signed by Eric Bischoff talking about how they're contemplating litigation if they don't right. stop, which is very cool. A uh, very different, very unique, and then like you said, Doc said you wanted more. Now you got it, and it's almost as like this is for you, Bischoff, without really saying it. So, in um, that aspect, is great. Uh, the press conference itself is eh, not as funny as um, uh, the other ones, but they're just really hammering home the fact that the WWF is the underdog, the small business with not as much funds as the w s w and Turner. And um, they're just trying to sway public opinion to their side. Uh, it's always easier to be the underdog than the, the big giant at the top of the mountain. The show Job well done there, I guess.
0: I guess it was all right. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad this week. Let's see what happens. I know there's some stinkers coming eventually, though. Oh yeah. The body donnas to the ring as Vince McMahon proclaims Sonny to be the provocative Sonny. So they're really starting to sell Sonny as. Well, sex sells, and that's basically the way they're selling Sonny at this point as well. It only took Vince damn near a year to figure that out. As the Bonnie is in the ring to take on a brand new tag team, Steve. And Hillbilly Jim making his way out. No, he's not wrestling, thank God. But he is the manager of this brand new tag team. Henry Godwin out first, and who's his partner? They motion to the back and out walks Phineas Godwin. It's the debut of Phineas Godwin here, and... Jim gives Phineas his good luck charm horseshoe that Hillbilly used to wear to the ring. Zip had just debuted a few weeks earlier, and they're already wrestling. uh, They're already uh, with another debut here. Phineas, they're taking characters they already have and just adding to them. And they don't stop here. They do it with Marty Cianetti as well. Sonny flirts with Hillbilly Jim early on. So he comes after her with a slot bucket because Hillbilly probably doesn't know how to respond to a woman (laughs) such as Sonny. Vince McMahon says, Hillbilly ain't no fool as the Bonnie Donna's work over Hank, but Skip misses the rocket launcher and a hot-tagged old Phineas I. Godwin, that's P-I-G, pig, as Phineas ducks a double clothesline, Henry Godwin from the outside trips up Zip, and Godwin, or excuse me, Phineas Godwin, with the slop drop on Skip, gets the win in 2 minutes 17 seconds. Geez, the Bonnie Donna's push, if there ever was one, Feels like it's already over as the Godwins then force Sonny to do do with them. Uh, they'd probably go to jail for that nowadays, but well, maybe not. It was Sonny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what push you're referring to that is over. Um, but no, this is I, I can't really take anything serious in the tag division right now. Ninety six, there's just nothing to it. I don't know if you're almost ever will. as if they're dumb. <laughs> it's. They're almost throwing slop at the wall and hoping it sticks uh, to use uh, the, the Godwin's gimmick there. But um, maybe he thought the body donnas wasn't going to work, so let's try it with this new team with Henry and Phineas, which I don't think it's going to work. Obviously, these, these teams go at it most of the year, so it um, may not be starting off very good, but it kind of ends okay for most of these teams outside of maybe the Rockers.
0: <laughs> or the body donnas. Well, they get attacked out of run, don't they?
1: Well, I guess if you call that
0: a run, I suppose. They also get cloudy for a day or two. Yay. Whew. Just what we need. We learn next week on Raw, Bret had promised it and he's going to come through. It's world champion Bret Hart defending his title in a rematch against The Undertaker. We then see a replay of Vader attacking Gorilla Monsoon from last week, Jim Cornette and Clarence Mason. Remember Clarence Mason, the guy who got Yoko and Owen, the title's back after the September in your house. He's back a friend of Ernie Ladd who actually recommended him. A real-life lawyer that Ernie Ladd recommended because he's a long-time, I guess probably his entire lifetime, wrestling fan. So Clarence Mason was in hog heaven as we continue to play off the Godwins here, Uh, getting to come back and be part of the WWF here again and, and actually remain with the WWF here. Clarence Mason responds, it's illegal to suspend Vader because Gorilla Monsoon placed his hands on Vader first. He defended himself which is not true. You watch Vader, he shoves Gorilla first, but that's the story they're going with here. Uh, Mason says he's filed a motion to vacate this illegal act. They will file for criminal and civil lawsuits as well if this continues. There's an injunction already in place to uh, to, to suspend the decision of the suspension, meaning that there's already an injunction in place. Vader's no longer suspended at this point in time. Uh, I have one issue with this. That's not what Vader was suspended for. He wasn't suspended for, like, Gorilla suspended him before he ever even touched Gorilla. So Mason's overturning the suspension for uh, inappropriate reasons.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Um, just a shortcoming, but obviously, if you say, well, Vader's suspended for beating up a referee, it's not going to carry the same weight as beating up Gorilla. So I get it in that aspect, but it's also, you know, Clarence Mason did a hell of a job. It's it's one of those things that's different than now and now they'll just try to find a good looking dude to play a lawyer instead of actually going out and getting a lawyer who can do the lingo and talk like a lawyer and make it work. So Clarence Mason was always believable to me. He was annoying as shit, but it was believable. And knowing that he's a real lawyer makes it all the better. I know they're trying to play off the Johnny Cochran, the OJ trial, that sort of stuff with this type of gimmick um, is my guess is why it was happening. He did a pretty good job with his delivery and his words. You hated him because he's a lawyer, and that's what you wanted out of that gimmick. So, job well done.
0: I think the gimmick name, too, is a playoff of real-life lawyer Clarence Thomas and then uh, kayfabe (laughs) attorney Perry Mason. So, we get Clarence Mason. As uh, we continue on the show, we learn that next week, Gorilla will respond to Clarence Mason's threats. (laughs) And then there's a get-well-gorilla Oh, uh, you can see this in a while, huh? Yeah. It's it like Get Well Matilda. It's almost like they, they could have just scratched out Matilda and put Gorilla on there, or Get Well Hulk and scratched Hulk out and put Gorilla on. Get Well <laughs> Gorilla. You can send your wishes to the W, so the WWF can actually rack up their addresses to send out catalogs because they're hurting for money here at the beginning of 1996 and they want you to buy all the merchandise you possibly can afford. <laughs> So send your well wishes to Get Well Gorilla. In reality, they're just collecting your address to send you a WWF merchandise catalog, baby. Got all kind of stuff in it, and it's the stuff dreams all made of. Little Coliseum video from WrestleMania six, there, Steve.
1: That's right. Yeah, s- such a shyster gimmick there,
0: <laughs> but it works. You know, uh, I, re- it I does. Just, I just uh, overheard Conrad and Tony Shivani talking about this on a recent uh, episode of their podcast and how they did the Rock and Roll Express tour, the summer of the, the Rock and Roll summer tour, and how over the Rock and Rolls were selling more tickets than Ric Flair and Dusty at the time. And they had everybody write in and send in these telegrams, or not telegrams, postcards, to first like six six winners, ladies. They got to be on this tour or part of the tour with the Rock and Roll. You can only imagine what happened there. Feel you know, use your own mind. However, Conrad asked Tony, what happened with the rest of the postcards? Tony said, he was in charge of them. Tony thought, eh, they probably threw him away. Talk about missing the boat. How, I mean, which, what, what you could have done with all those addresses. And that's why Vince was Vince and Crockett was Crockett.
1: I bet you people who got catalogs like maybe five weeks later didn't even put two and two no. together.
0: How'd they get my address?
1: Wow. Well, this is cool. Vince McMahon sent or WWF sent me a merchandise catalog. I didn't do anything to sign up they, for this. They this must have awesome.
0: really appreciated my get well Matilda letter. Or ban the DDT. <laughs> or whatever the hell. Or uh, my vote of confidence for, for the hockey talk man? man. What's that? Did
1: they, do one for, did they do one for Boss Man? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. When he got destroyed by nails?
0: No, I don't think so. I'm trying to
1: figure out when the last time they did it before this. It was, it, was it Hogan? And it's Earthquake? been a while.
0: It's been a while. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, there was no or Get Mon- Well oh, Boss oh, Man or, or Get Well Crush. <laughs> twice. Oh, yeah, Poor thing. Crush got taken out twice. <laughs> Doink and Yokozuna. <laughs>
1: They did the hotline for the, should Savage be reinstated? So yeah, yeah, it must've been Hogan.
0: We'll move on with the show though. Vince McMahon in the ring. We talked too much about the old stuff. We'll realize how much better it was than here in 1996. Vince McMahon in the ring. He's going to introduce the new interim president of the WWF handpicked by Gorilla Monsoon. It's none other than Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Piper wants to know if he's Vince's boss and uh oh i i guess he kind of is vince plays it up with a <laughs> vince face here people are scared because roddy's in charge says the piper piper says things are so out of control that they had to call him he was the one who did the coconut angle he kicked cindy lopper in the butt he ko'd mr t he chased dick clark through madison square garden took on 10 cops and didn't even go to jail Roddy sees a new generation of tough athletes in the back. They're stronger and faster and smarter, but they're confused. And Roddy's going to straighten them out. Piper pulls out a list of rules to which Vince responds, when have you ever went by the rules? And Roddy says, good point. And disposes of said (laughs) rules. And we want to know what can fans expect? Piper says, everybody's going to pay the Piper. And Vince is no difference. He picks Vince up. You have to wonder if this was shooting. Vince didn't know it was coming. Roddy picks Vince up and airplane spins up before sending him down kindly on his feet. Uh, and he picks him up again to close this segment. What'd you make of it?
1: I thought this was very well done. I love the playoff of like Vince saying, when did you ever follow the rules? And he's like, you're right. Kind of just with him. Um, I thought it was great. I felt like this was a little bit of a shoot too. this. The, the, uh, the Airplane spin, you know, very few guys in the business can get away with doing something like that to Vince, and not have to face any repercussions. And Piper's one of them. I know the Melts always talks about how w s w always wanted Piper. Whenever Piper would kind of maybe talk to him, Vince would always pay him and come back. Obviously, this is I think this is the last time for it until after the WCW folds. But um,
0: yeah. well, it's imagine really cool the money he's getting paid by wcw not to jump back to vince i can't really blame him
1: yeah absolutely this is very well done though i know piper can be all over the place and not make a lot of sense and just kind of ramble on along but he sounds good doing it so people just buy into it uh but this one made sense and it was very good i love the fact that he also called vince a sweet kid (laughs) um that was good
0: yeah, oh, and this was probably, other than when he um, appears at the end of whatever, what WCW pay-per-view, was that Halloween Havoc? Or he shows up, which pay, I, I can't remember. it. Yeah, yeah I guess
1: it's Halloween Havoc 96. Okay.
0: Right, I knew it was this year. But the, other than that, which was just a huge shock more than anything, the, oh my God, Piper's in WCW. It was a huge shock when he comes out at the end mm-hmm. of that pay-per-view. But here, this is probably, the we're going into the last time that I'm actually shocked and, and actually happy that Roddy Piper's showing back up. In the guy, very excited that Roddy Piper's here in WWF here, even though he's not up to snuff technically in the ring anymore. It's still cool to have Roddy Piper back on my TV screen. I was very excited when I saw him come back here. He hadn't worn out his welcome like he eventually does in WCW for me. So very big deal, very cool. And Roddy Piper's back, and we'll see what happens moving forward with the hot rod. And we get our first Mankind vignette. And it's clearly Cactus Jack's voice, so you know immediately who this is. There's no mistaking that voice. Even if you've only watched him in WCW, no mistaking that voice. And we only get a close-up of his missing ear for the entire promo. And he closes it with, have a nice day! And Lawler says he thinks the guy's name is Mankind. I don't know who gave him that information, but somehow the king has some notes that this guy's name is Mankind. Very interesting. And we don't get a full look at the character yet, but he's on his way. McFoley to the WWF here. We close out the show. One more match. It's HBK. Shawn Michaels taking on Yokozuna along with Jim Cornette, even though Vader and Yokozuna came to blows at the Rumble. Yoko hasn't officially turned babyface yet. Yoko controls the match early. Shawn Michaels winds up sliding through Yoko's legs. Hard thing to do. And slaps Yoko on the butt. Fun spot there. Yokozuna takes that epic bump through the ropes to the floor that he's good to, that he's always known for and Jim Cornette waves for help down the aisle and out comes Owen Hart as we head into commercial break back from break Yokozuna misses an avalanche in the corner and Shawn Michaels with a moonsault press off the top rope for a two count very impressive there to see Yoko take the moonsault bump Yokozuna reverses an irish whip and Shawn flips up over the top rope and out to the floor while Cornette distracts and Owen Hart's and Owen Hart attacks HBK on the outside and back in the ring, and Yoko's probably blown blown up at this point. So it's nerve hold time, as we head back into a second commercial break. And this time, back from break, Yoko Zuna misses the big leg drop, and Shawn Michaels goes up top, but he too misses a top rope splash. Shawn Michaels hulks up his own way, his kip up style hulking up two big flying forearms, and finally Yoko Zuna takes the bump. Really great spot there. I love when Yoko takes one of those bumps. Really good job selling, at least. By Yokozuna. Yokozuna winds up catching Shawn Michaels on a top rope dive and smashes Shawn back into the corner. Cornette distracts the referee while Yokozuna holds Michaels so that Owen Hart can get in the ring. But Owen winds up nailing a spinning kick to Yokozuna as Shawn Michaels ducks and Yoko goes down. And Shawn Michaels with the super kick gets the win in about 11 minutes. Shawn Michaels pinning Yokozuna on TV. If this doesn't say the end of Yoko as a heel, I don't know what does. You never saw Yokozuna do a job, barely ever, much less on TV. I don't know that that had ever happened up until this point.
1: Yeah, pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, but you knew someone was coming. It was all, the plan was laid out, I think, last week, and it's just coming to fruition now. So, um, it makes sense. Get Sean that big win after the Rumble and move on to next week uh, where this is heading.
0: So earlier in the show, Yokozuna accidentally aided Diesel in beating the Bulldog. And now here, Owen Hart accidentally aids Shawn Michaels in beating Yokozuna. So we see Yoko and Owen begin to argue. A little bit of a shoving match here. Former tag team partners is Davey Boy Smith runs to ringside. He gets in between the two, tries to separate the two. They all wind up ganging up, cornering Shawn Michaels at a three-on-one. But nope. Here comes Diesel to kind of. Even odds, just a little bit three on two. And for some reason, even with only two baby faces, the heels bolt. They don't want none of Diesel, I suppose, as Diesel and Sean chase off all three of Camp Cornette to the floor. As Yoko now argues with Jim Cornette on the floor, Vince McMahon stops by and he says there's clearly problems in Cornette's camp. And Jim Cornette gets on the microphone quickly and denies the rumors. There's no dissension in Camp Cornette. And Cornette even challenges Diesel and HBK to a tag team match for next week against yokozuna and the british bulldog and that concludes this week's raw
1: yeah uh, pretty good decent decent finish to the show and you're ready It you got it built towards the next week which is what you want uh, you gotta have a reason to tune in the following week so um good job by them
0: segment of the night steve was it Shawn michaels pinning yokozuna was it bulldog versus diesel or was it the debut of phineas godwin
1: uh, I'm going to cheat on this one if that's okay, sure. uh, but it just feels like it all goes together. Uh So the matches between Diesel and Bulldog and then Sean and Yoko, uh, I thought it did a really good job of building up to that tag match for the next week because uh, you really can't have one without the other because both of them had the sloppy finishes by the heels. So it just built, built towards that next week's show. I thought it was really well done and I'm ready to watch the match for next week. And I was like, that's how these shows should be handled and then progress towards your pay-per-views. And Raw, to me, is doing a better job of that so far. They're not only focused on a week-to-week show that makes sense, they're focused on long-term as well as building those pay-per-view matches and uh, things like that, whereas Nitro, like we've talked about, is just a cluster. It's all over the place.
0: Yeah, I think a segment for me was probably Sean versus Yoko. Again, not anything special by the way, of a match, but I'm really just having to pick from a box of adequate (laughs) matches, to be honest with you, here this week at best. I was just, I remember watching this when it happened and being surprised seeing Yokozuna take a pin. And I was excited too, because I was a Shawn Michaels fan at the time. So seeing him pin Yokozuna, it was a big deal both ways. So I guess that's what really stuck out to me way back in 96. So sticks out to me still here today. Just Shawn Michaels pinning Yokozuna is the, is the big deal here for me, even though it's, uh, it's playing a part of a, a bigger storyline here with Yoko turning babyface. So segment of the night for me, I guess, was the main event. And the ratings are in. And this week saw WCW win the Monday Night Battle with a 2.8 rating and a 4.0 share for the Flair and Hogan match to the WWF Raw's 2.4 rating and 3.5 share. Despite having two big matches, Diesel and Davey Boy and Sean versus Yoko, it was also Sean's first TV match since he went down to Owen Hart back in the uh, the collapse angle. So that's another big deal here. And it's against Yokozuna even, and still Hogan versus Flair gets it done this week. I don't know how much of that is Hogan versus Flair, and how much of that is just pure luck that that's where everybody was switching to <laughs> on said, said week. Is that what it? That's what it feels like at this point, anyway.
1: Yeah. Was it three point
0: five or three point three? I got a three point three share. I I, I I don't know. I got three point three share here. It's copy and paste from the observer, so that's what I'm going with.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, you said three point five. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay. Um, no, you you're good. So, uh, yeah, the real winner to me, I'll just get right into it. Is raw. I, I thought it did a nice job getting ready for the next week's show as well as keeping their focus on the upcoming pay-per-view in your house. It made the most sense. And it was really great to see Piper back in the ring uh, doing what he did to Vince. I said very few people can get away with that stuff, and Piper's one of them. Uh, Nitro is just a cluster. It's the Hogan show, and there's really no continuity week to week. It's just big matches being thrown together to pop a rating with no meaning behind them. Like I, I want to see Flair and Hogan but I want a reason to want to watch it, not just, okay, it's Hogan and Flair. I don't need a story. That's garbage. That's lazy. And that's what Nitro seems to be these days.
0: Yeah. I mean, I go raw just because everything makes more sense. There's, they're actually leading somewhere. I don't know that either show really had anything spectacular on it. I know back in 1996, I was excited that Shawn Michaels pinned Yokozuna. I was excited Roddy Piper was on the show. It just makes more sense that it's the bigger deal. It's the bigger show as they continue to both bring in new stars or old stars, if you will, on both shows at Mm -hmm. this point, it was a big deal. And it's still a big deal here. I'm not really getting all those butterflies in my stomach when I'm watching it this time, but still easily raw was the better show this week for me as well. So even though WCW wins in the real ratings here on Monday warfare, I guess it's raw taking home the win this week. And that wraps it up, Steve, another two weeks of raw nitro in the books as we head into February here and super brawl and in your house and that road to wrestlemania thing
1: yeah that little wrestlemania thing i know you're looking forward to that yeah it's it's exciting times like i said wrestlemania season is always entertaining for the most part it can it has its twists and turns but the it's something special in the air like i mentioned at the start of this show and i think they're doing a really good job of getting it started here uh the rumbles just finished and uh There's a lot going on in WWF right now that's really positive as far as the future holds. It's just getting there. Whereas, like I said, Nitro, phew, it's all over the place. But it has its uh, moments, too.
0: Yeah, Nitro, you know, they they get it right every once in a while. That old, uh, even a blind squirrel finds a a nut every once in a while. A a broken clock is right twice a day. That's how I take Nitro (laughs) right now but it's really been heavily the Hogan show. And I I can't wait for that to be over and done with. As you pointed out, it's not, it's still a ways off. We got to get through February and most of March, but I promise there's going to be a a period where there's no Hulk Hogan. And hopefully it's, it's glorious. I can't wait to see how they fill an entire hour of TV without Hulk Hogan taking up at least three segments every week.
1: Uh, It's just going to be macho man and all his women problems. (laughs) So (laughs) that's probably a little bit more entertaining.
0: Well, pretty much anything's more entertaining at this point than uh at least baby face Hulk Hogan here at the beginning of ninety six uh yeah, but uh another show in the books. We'll be back with episode twelve and two more weeks of Nitro and I think two more weeks of Raw, right? We haven't gotten to the dog show yet. So yeah, I think next episode
1: yeah. Next week is uh two five and two twelve, so no raw the second week.
0: Oh, okay, it's two twelve that there's no I thought there was you okay. You're right. I
1: was confused on my files. But um, yes uh, no raw on 212 for some reason I thought there was one on 213 okay, but I so guess not. So I,
0: I stand corrected. Two more weeks of Nitro, one more week of Raw. Raw as Vince used to say will be gone to the dogs on uh, February 12th. <laughs> the Westminster Dog Show at? will yeah, I know. Westminster Dog Show will replace Raw for that week, but it'll return the following week. Don't you guys worry. Raw. So we'll be back with uh, three more episodes of TV and the Monday Night War next time, Steve.
1: Rog is bumped for the dog show. That's just think about that on your, on your way out. Just think about that.
0: Yeah. USA was making some good money on that dog show way back when.
1: It's crazy to think about though. (laughs) Oh yeah. When did they stop getting bumped? When did they get stopped getting bumped? I don't know if they ever did. I mean, I know they did, but
0: well, they continue to get bumped just based on, um, contract obligations, but they, they once, once, uh, once we hit that, uh, Attitude era when Raw was making big money, USA allowed them to move around and Thursday, Raw Thursday or Friday or Saturday, whatever the hell they needed to do, they kept Raw going. And it was basically that way from that point forward.
1: I didn't know if it was 98 or 99. I can't remember.
0: I have no idea. But we'll figure it out when we I get there. I don't know
1: either. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we will.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for another one, Steve. Thank you for being here. And this is Ray Russell. We'll be back again very, very soon with another Monday Warfare The Battles Within.